podcast quoi. So 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 Quebecois become become a po- Quebec, podcast, uh, podcast quoi. quoi. Podcast Isn't quoi. it's not like le petit Quebecois? I can't even remember. I think it's just je t'aime Quebecois. Am I wrong? Québécois. No, no, je t'aime Québécois. No, that is that is not a Québécois accent. That well, is not an the, anything it's, accent. It's that her is... saying it. It's her saying it to him. In yeah, a I know. No, no, I'm not saying. You, I'm not criticizing you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about about Brad Bradley. Oh, yes. Bradley Pitstein, um, and, uh, and his AP French. Bongiorno, you know, I he's, mean, he, he yes. already did that. Like, you know, what, what, anyway, we'll talk. He's about done it. the World War II movie where he jokes about the fact that he can't really do accents. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. He's got so he's, he's covered. Got a, he's covered. Oh, he, he, he's did, covered. he did it in the other movie. To, he, he, he hung a lantern on in the other movie. Exactly. He hung a lantern on it. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, this is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Wow! Wow! And, and I'm Chris. I'm but, pumped but, up. It, it, should, should I jump in there? there well, there's yeah, Ben. Yeah, yes. if you want. Yes. Hey, I'm, hey, I'm here too. Hi, Ben's here. Hey, Ben. It's it's a it's hey. a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career, and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they're allied, baby. And this hey. is a mini series on the films of Robert Zemeckis. The infamous Bobby Z. We're near in the end. We're talking Allied. It's the great Allied off. I feel like I've been hyping this one up. It's big. The entire miniseries. I don't know if anyone's actually excited. Right. You've been like Don King, Rumble in the Jungling, you know, like this, <laughs> this being like, finally, people are going to yeah. f- know the verdict. Allied, good Four or bad. Sims versus making. Newman. I mean, the thing is, like, who do we know who who can be trusted in this? Really, that's in this, the in question, this Chris. I feel like this is going to be like the big eyes episode in which I fight really hard, and then everyone else kind of shrugs. Um, Griffin, I'm I'm really sorry to tell you this, but but David is a German spy. Oh no, I knew it. And I'm afraid that, as you know, with podcast protocols for these kinds of things, you have to kill him with your own hand. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait <laughs> a second. Wait a second, circuit. Chris. Chris. So it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Are you telling me that David grew up in Germany? (laughs) (laughs) He he grew up and as a baby, no, actually he was about nine, they parachuted him into London. Wow. And then he pretended to be an American kid in London. Wow. God, I want to punch this piano so hard right now. (laughs) (laughs) Play La Marseillaise. God. (laughs) Griffin over Zoom. (laughs) This is why I want to get through the intro as quickly as possible. How many World War II movies has Brad Pitt now made? It's a lot. Uh, I was actually thinking about this. Three within 10 years? Um, right. Mm. You've got uh, right around this time, you have Fury, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone remembers Fury so well. That was the prequel to Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Right. When, when, once yep. there was only fury. Yep. Um, what are some other ones, Griffin? Hit me because there are glorious bastards. Few. Of course, of course. And then this is what I was trying to remember. If there's one more, 
All right. Well, let's find out. Obviously, World War Z was about World War Z, not World War II. So it's right. not that yeah. one. If you looked at only the end of the title in the mirror, you could get confused. But yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, what else? What else? I'm looking at his filmography. Legends of the Fall. That's Is that the first World War, I want to say? That he goes to in that mm-hmm. one, so not the same. You know, and seven years in Tibet. That's uh, that's sort of post World War. That's got a little mm-hmm. war World War Two action in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm enjoying this spy game. You know, obviously sure. there's a lot of spy games being played, but no, no World. Yeah. Would you II. count World War Z two? That would well, be a world yes. a, a World War Two movie. It would have yes. to be okay. Yeah. That would okay. right. That's if, what I was if we thinking. did. If we did finally get World War Z two, I suppose, right? You have to consider that. Okay, sure. Um, isn't I aren't they reanimating it. Andrei Tatarsky to direct World War Z two? Isn't that yeah, Tarkovsky's coming in? Yeah, I think so. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> he, he wants. Uh, he wants to do an action movie. I heard that's what his reps are saying. He just wants to get his foot in the door. He wants to show that he can handle that kind of budget. Yeah. There, there was, there was War Machine. Another war movie, but sure. the, the the Iraq War. Um, right. I guess that's it. But he does have the look of, a, you know, a, a handsome old movie star, so it makes yes. sense. Put him in old war movies. Right. Like, once he passes 40, he gets really into being this sort of, like, haunted, lantern-jawed golden boy in the war. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, there is... There's Troy, you know, which is about Ugh. the sack of Troy. Talk about a war, the Trojan mm-hmm. War. That was a war. Yeah. Um, I, you know, as we talk about World War II movies, <clears throat> my, you know, I, my, was it my last movie? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. My last movie had to do with yeah. the Second World War. And Excellent for a long film. time, World War II was like your angle. That was your way into the Academy, right? Like, yeah. These Academy yes. voters were like, World War II, I'm watching it. I love it. Yeah, that was ultimate boomer bait. Right, your last movie. I mean, your last movie, Operation Finale. I think sometime before Operation Finale came out, that changed. (laughs) But but it's kind of unclear. (laughs) Where's the line? I can't quite find. Well, I mean, honestly, look look how Allied did with the Oscars. That's the thing. I was trying to sort of chart this. I rewatched Finale uh, uh, today before uh, watching Allied, uh, Chris, which is an excellent movie. That's extremely kind of you and, and maybe masochistic. But no, no, no. It's a very enjoyable film. It's on Hulu. Uh, a cra- crackerjack a- movie. Well, it was on but, Hulu. It must be good. Exactly. Uh, but I was thinking about like finale and uh, uh, this film, and then even sort of like Fury, which is slightly more in the action vein, but I feel like also kind of underperformed. It does mm-hmm. feel like yep. there's been this shift where, as you said, World War II used to be money in the bank. Now it's World War Who. <laughs> oh boy. Well, now it's just like the History Channel's domain or whatever, oh, right? Yeah. Like they're just well, like, yeah. we'll, we'll handle it, fellas. I also feel like this is the kind of movie that used to be, and, and Finale as well, where it's like you have like two big stars in a World War II movie, and there's like sort of its epic backdrop, <laughs> emotional story in front of that. Whether it's a real life story or it's a fictional story, it's like here's a character driven story in this setting. And mm-hmm. now I feel like when war movies do well, more often than not, they are modern. But even mm-hmm. if they aren't, they're movies that are sold entirely on like the viscerality of you are in the war, right? Like yeah. when war movies do well, it's 1917 and it's Lone Survivor. It's like that zone. 
I feel like there are a couple yeah. other that have done well right. in recent years. 1970 is maybe the only one to really like Oscar breakthrough. But I wonder if to some degree Inglorious Bastards is the dividing line. Hmm. It might be because that, right. But here's the, there's a few, I want to just take you through a couple. Um, You know, so some examples I would say of movies like you're talking about. Our guest today, by the way, is Chris White's director of Operation Finale. That's true. Uh, Um, Hello, Chris. Producer of Night Eggs. And by the way, we've got some housekeeping to do on Night Eggs in a little bit, but but I don't want to stop you there. We'll get to it. We'll get to that. Um, Oh, I mean, yeah, strap in. Okay, so 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 midway, right? That was a movie that came out last year, made like mm-hmm. fifty million, kind of right. ignored. You know, like that's a cla- that's a good example to me of like World War Two, no longer money in the bank. Greyhound this year, obviously sold to uh-huh. Apple TV, but you know, people were kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. Uh, Allied is a good example, um, but Dunkirk, Griffin, obviously that has the Nolan brand, sure. so that helps it along. But that's a successful. But like you say, that's like Good what point. you're talking about, where it's like you're right. in the war, baby. Right. This I is think it's visceral. This is, you know, you're rattling you around. If so, if somebody doesn't have like an arm hanging off, <clears throat> right. nobody nobody cares anymore. Right. Right. People want the, the, the VR experience. Right. Other underperformers, you've got the Monuments Men, you've got Red Tails. Mm. These are not movies mm. that were out now bombs. They were just movies that kind of like did OK. Uh, Defiance. Remember Defiance? Daniel Craig? Valkyrie, of course, which I recently watched and is not very good. No, it's not very good. But but to this point, uh, 1917 and uh, uh, why am I forgetting the other one? Dunkirk are the only two that became major Oscar players. Right, that's right. 1917, obviously, World War One. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like especially, like, if you go 2009 is when the Academy announces the expanded field, right? Inglorious mm-hmm. Bastards gets Best Picture, Best Director, Best Everything nominations that year. And you could imagine a scenario in which you're like, well, if they're going to be 10 nominees every year, probably one of them's going to be a war film, Right. You can yeah. see that just being like, whatever the best war movie is every year will end up getting one of those slots. And instead, it's, it's slipped, as you said, White Sea. Yeah, maybe it's after, like after Saving Private Ryan, it's sort of up to the ante in terms of, um, you know, viscerality. Right. And Glorious right. Bastard kind of turned it a bit postmodern. Right. Um, and yeah. Private Ryan's like a couple years after English Patient, which is the last of that sort of war film to I think really connect in both levels but is it also it's like like how they say so many directors it's like you have a space movie in you like you know for Allied for Zemeckis it's like he never made a war movie right you know doesn't everyone want to crack at that eventually yeah but it's but it's also such a pointedly old fashioned movie which is what I like about it but I think Mm -hmm. is what uh a lot of people find uh, unengaging and distancing about it. Right. I mean, that's true. I mean, right. There's a difference between critical reaction and box office. Like, the box office reaction of this movie, you can chart up to plenty of stuff. Rated R, mm-hmm. you know, right. Uh, right after Trump's election, weird publicity cycle where Brad Pitt basically doesn't want to talk about the movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff that... There's, from all, this movie. there's all the rumor mongering about the two of them and his recent divorce. And it's also right. like a, a straight adult movie yep. with a very basic premise. There's not a lot of hook in the marketing and they're targeting a very specific audience. Right. Um, but yes, right. In terms of the critical reaction, 
more interesting, I would say. You know, you, you, you say it's old-fashioned, but there, there, there are these weird kind of uh, outlying moments amongst it, right? There's, there's this people doing cocaine and the party. Yes. I love that yeah. stuff. That stuff's a good. Lo- a lot of fucks. A lot of fucks in the script. Yes. So yes. many that they even remark upon it script. within the movie. Yes. Too yes. many fucks in one, one exchange. Yeah. And when Marion Cotillard says, you just got an hour rating, you know, she's <laughs> like, oh, two, l- look, two non-sexual fucks gets you an hour rating, but that would say sexual fuck you just said there. The MPAA will not like this movie. <laughs> Wait, Chris, have you ever had to deal with the MPAA in terms oh my of God. Um, defining he, whether American or not... American Pie! You were speaking American well, Pie! That's right! director of American Pie. Yeah. Uh, um, did they try and slap an NC-17 on American yes, Pie? Yes, that, that was yes, our first right. rating. Um, right, because you had... You had him fuck the pie in a different Well, that was an orientation or whatever. Right? There was an yeah, alternate right. shot a... in which he actually straddled it from above. <laughs> right. Right. I don't right. think we ever w- contemplated that. However, we d- you do get into these ridiculous conversations about like, well, okay, what if we remove one thrust from the pie? <laughs> how, how about right. that? <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, but surely it wasn't then, only then, the pie that, that, that bothered them, right? Like, uh, there were actual num- sex scenes in that film. A number of things. A number of things. Right. But there were, there was, as they call it, the, the, the technical term is frame fucking. Um, so so we, did, right. we did have to do a bit of that in order to, to, to inch our way back to R. And, that, and that's like literally how long the shot can last, right? Yes. I mean, right. Which right. angle you use, right? Which angle? Points can you take out frames. eight frames? Can you take out one yeah. pump? I mean, it's like the Hingle McCringleberry um, uh, skit with um, <laughs> the Key and Peel skit. Right. <laughs> so wild. <laughs> like you can't do the third pump or you get ejected. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it, so they weren't like, uh, we, we just want, I mean, I don't know, the, 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 the foreign exchange student gets changed. Like, this just doesn't seem plausible. That was my mom's note after she saw American Pie. Why would she change? Well, she has a good point. Right. She was just um, like, I don't know, David. I, it, it felt kind of implausible to me. And I was like, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think that movie was really going for plausible. That, that is a goof. That is a goof. Because <laughs> yeah, a goof. most people don't change down to full yeah. nudity at other people's houses. <laughs> In front of the mirror and spend a long time yeah. looking at themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But, you know, my mom, she rented it. She rented American Pie in the year 2000 and watched <laughs> it and gave me notes. So, you know, that's a viewer. That, that's money sure in the bank. it back to you. Yeah. Wow. That was an elusive quadrant. Chris, here, here's a question we've never thought to ask you. And and you were, you've been on the show. Uh, this is now your third time, including um, uh, uh, Patreon content. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, is it only his third time? This is outrageous. That's, isn't it wild? Right? Is <laughs> it only crazy. three? I guess I guess you're rarely in in the Big Apple, Chris. But now we're on. Well, no, the but big I, I want I want to get up there. I want to, yeah. you know. Oh yeah, I want to be up there with the Emily Yoshidas of the world. Yoshida That's just hit cool. ten. Ten. Outrageous. Ten. Oh, I can't. I can't do that. I'll take you. Ten years. main feet. <laughs> well, don't, don't come on. Don't lose hope. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, so carry on, Griff. Uh. But but uh, you're a good friend. The question uh, we never asked. The show. Right. The I question. Don't know Thank you. You've never asked. We've never asked is because uh, I feel like at, at several different points in the history of this podcast, maybe not recently, we've talked about the American Pie direct-to-video universe and especially Eugene mm-hmm. Levy's continuing role mm-hmm. in that. Oh right, right. The 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 the, the, the Jim's dad's 
his, his ten years, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yes. That Jim's dad continues to be this voice of sage wisdom to sexually right. awkward young men who he should have no yeah. relation to. Well, actually, at this point, the government actually—it's like those very special episodes where the government paid for it. The government pays us, um, pays Eugene Levy yes. to represent to, to, just, to, to be a sex educator. Or yes. He's like, I'm here to open the book of love, like, or whatever. I, I'm trying to think of the, the most in, inventive. Uh, I will say, Griffin, Jim's dad yeah. has a Wikipedia entry on the Heroes Wiki. So Whoa. he is considered a hero. He is a hero of, of sexual health. So I'm, I, what was the question? I'm sorry. I, 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 What's the question? The, I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. The, the question no, no, is. No, I don't mean, I'm not trying to press you. I, I, I no, just, the, uh, I want to be here to is, answer. It, you directed the first film. It has become yep. this bizarrely long-running series with all these spinoffs and everything. Do you have any participation in the American Pie universe? Do you get checks when they release a tenth movie? No, I don't. No. Wow, rude. But Paul, Paul and rude. I don't at this stage. Wow. We, Does we Adam were... Hurts? The, I hope the, so. The credited I, I, screenwriter, yes. I definitely hope so because he is, you know, he's the daddy of it all. Daddy. He's right. the Jim's dad of Strange the franchise. Time. He's the Jim's dad of the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Um, we we do sometimes get checks for American Pie Two because we are executive producers by that okay. stage, right. Um, right? But but that that is it. American Pie Two, which I assume you had no actual involvement with. No, uh, I will say one of the most anarchic theater experiences I've ever <laughs> had. I must have been 15 years old. And I just remember pandemonium. People were yeah. just like, I don't know what's going to happen in this movie, but I, if you saw the last one, anything goes, you know, people were just like bouncing oh. off the walls. Yeah. It, it could have been a black mass, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I was like, I was like 12. I was just at the cutoff. I remember campaigning my parents so hard to let me see it in theaters. And it was one of those things where it's just like, Oh, you might it's be a little dangerous. too young, but I knew, I knew I was missing out. It was like watching all my friends go to see the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Like I was like, this isn't going to be the same. And I watched it a year later on VHS and I was just like, I missed a cultural moment. I, I'll, I'll say I, I was 15 and that movie was a little, that movie's a little, you know, young. Like that movie was really for 12 year olds. Like even at 15, I was yeah. like, I don't yeah. know about all this. <laughs> Oh my god! You guys are so young. This, this uh, every oh, time we talk about long. this kind of stuff, it reminds me. Oh, come on, I'm old. I'm old <sighs> as sin. I'm old <laughs> as bones. A pile of ash. The show bones. Bag of bones. Sims. David's so old, he's gone into syndication twice over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so old that I'm just cashing Hart Hansen checks. That's right. So I know the old. name of the creator of Bones. Get out of wow. here. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. 
Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. All right. Chris, you're here. You're not here to talk pie. You're not here to talk uh, Jim's dad. You're not here uh, well, to talk I, but I, I wouldn't mind if we could talk a little bit about night eggs. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Yes. But you okay. are here to talk eggs. That's true. Oof. Wow. An ingredient in pie. But has, yes. has Ben? Ben, have you got the the the, the promo queued up for? I, 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 I do. Here. Might do a bit um, of an intro. Yeah. Please. Let, uh, let me let me just let me, let me just intro this because. Um, you know, obviously, the, we've lost a bit of momentum on night eggs with the pandemic. There's been a lot sure. of talk about there was the thing with with Chrissy Teigen where she uh, talked about eating night eggs. Yeah, a lot. She, was, she went to that uh, well several times. I feel Yeah, like. she made a video and everything. She kind she of crouching really, on like, the brand. Put a flag yeah. down. Yeah. In a way that was upsetting for me. I know. And we so we got into it. With the lawyers, mm. we, 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 we had problems with Sam Jackson's window windows. Mm. Um, they, they were, they needed double insulation or whatever. There's too much, <laughs> yes. too much. It was an issue. It was an issue. And, um, and, you know, and, and then, then, uh, we did, you know, we had a deal, we had a studio deal and then it fell through and then. Well, okay. I should take some of the blame. I kept talking about giant horses and yeah. I think we should get into that, but continue, Chris. Sorry. No, it's okay. There were some budget questions, and but then right. yeah. we um, then we uh, we we thought, okay, well, we got to go stream, streaming now, and uh, and then we, we finally we got a deal. Um, and have you guys heard of a thing called Quibi? So that oh, that's what I'm really yes. excited about right now. Oh, oh I, I have some great news for you and some bad news. Great yeah. news, you have an in at Quibi. His name is okay. David Sims. <laughs> you got a major David news. is the founder, majority shareholder. <laughs> uh, bad news. Quibi's having a slight cash flow issue at the moment, but I'm working on okay. turning it around. That would explain uh, um, why there, we've had some trouble kind of just getting getting down to brass tacks with them. Right. Yeah. The phones are currently not like, yeah. I mean, they're plugged in, but there's no power being supplied to <laughs> right. them. But, you know, we're going to figure it all out. D David, do you mind if I if I speak as your publicist here for a moment? Sure, please. Yeah, of course. So as an official representative for Quibi, uh, Chris, you should just understand. And first of all, we apologize for the delayed response. Uh, it's, I think we can all say 2020 has been a wild year. It's, it's been uh, crazy for everybody. Quibi is in the middle of a, a pivot I would mm -hmm. say much like the pivot uh, from from landscape to portrait mode while watching one of our classic turnstile <laughs> videos, uh, Quibi has sort of been pivoting as a company uh, out mm -hmm. of being mm -hmm. um, existent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's just a lot of like tectonic plates moving. We're just sort of figuring things out. We're very committed to Night Egg still. Uh, thank you, Griffin. That explains a lot about of course um you know not hearing back but anyway in the meanwhile ben i was feeling really badly i was feeling like i was being a bad producer and so what i did was put together a bit of a sizzle an audio sizzle reel um you know i'll explain a bit afterwards but i just want just to see what you think of it okay, okay i'm very excited he's screen sharing with us here visionary filmmaker ben hosley announced his latest project 
Night Eggs. In 2021, not even a global pandemic will prevent the world from experiencing Night Eggs. <laughs> Night Eggs. All rights reserved, not associated with Chrissy Teigen's Night Eggs. Well, and that's an important tag there that yeah, I think we should there. all really spotlight, okay? Yeah, so to explain, you know, uh, obviously this this went out today on the net and has gone viral. And um, yeah. some people are saying like it, that it sounds like a horror movie a little bit, like it sounds a little too intense. So that's, so then that's why, but that's why I put the, the outro, which kind of tells you that it's going to be fun too lightens it right up. there there's yeah. kind of a like end of an episode of a sitcom vibe yeah. to the to the right you know like i feel like i'm about to see the gracie films card or something <laughs> yeah i think it's good though i think, I think it's, 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 like, it's, it's got a vibe sit. yeah it's got it's a really great strong. vibe the yeah. distortion on your voice i'm assuming that's your oh voice. no that wasn't me that was um, oh okay okay people think people keep saying it's me doing different like kind of se- trying to sound like the trailer mm-hmm. guy but that's uh-huh. a real that's a real guy. It was it was Don LaFontaine Jr. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got you got LaFontaine Jr. You got LaFontaine yeah. Jr. That guy yeah. mostly does cruise ships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean and but the thing is, you know, you're we're selling the sizzle, not the steak. It's like people still don't really know <laughs> what it's about. Right. Right. Yeah. But but right. Okay. that that's kind of a smart approach to marketing the movie because the film, of course, is a mystery. So why not sell a mystery with a mystery yeah. being what is this sure. fucking movie? Right. 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 It's like that episode of Entourage where they 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 sell the movie off the trailer. No, sorry. Carry on, Ben. Go ahead. Well, no, no, please. I mean, I love an Entourage antidote. But antidote, yes. Entourage I love an antidote, entourage antidote. I like anything that can yeah, prevent entourage from spreading. <laughs> But, um, you know, Chris mentioned the budget issue. So, guys, I don't think I've talked about this on the show yet. I I sort of built in this new sort of angle, which is that there's giantism. There's so there's giant Mm -hmm. horses, but like there's giant people. Rich people are now giant. Okay, it's like but not like. if you're They're a fancy like nine person. foot, ten foot, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You're, you're, it's you're not like of, huge, it's no, but it's like they're double the size now. So essentially <laughs> you have giants of Silicon Valley, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What's, what's the, I didn't uh, think about though, how difficult it would be to sort of make that happen. You know, helps the budget. Sure. It does. It does. Um, but I, I feel strongly about it. I do. Yeah, you feel like that's the kind of thing you'll walk out of a, a meeting over where they're like, yeah, the people have to be nine feet tall. And you're well, like, I'm it's like here. there's not just a carpool lane. There's a giant lane. You know, it's mm. just things mm-hmm. like I feel yeah. like you got to have a lot of people think just put the people are supposed to be giant closer to the camera. But then there are a lot of problems. <laughs> a lot of problems. <laughs> uh, fantastic. But seriously, uh, 2021. I mean, I know yeah. actually this is 2021. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, welcome to 2021, everybody. Get ready. Welcome, this is, everyone. This coming out in 2021. Once when I was um, actually once when I was a, a, a baby writer just arrived in Hollywood, um, I went to a party and I met a uh, a girl whose job was to to write taglines for uh, for like posters and movies, and she's and I said. Oh wow, uh, interesting. So, can like give me an example of like your what, what's the work you're proudest of? And she said, "Get ready for the ride of your life." That was her, her tagline. 
a big tagline. Wow. It was it was not a come on by the way either. I mean, <laughs> it could have been interpreted that way though. I don't think it was, unless wow. Now that I think back, like gosh, did I really miss out on something about thirty yeah, years ago? Yeah, I I I have to confess, what is that the tagline for? Or is that just like she didn't a, say? She never said. I always anyone actually, could use that. I, I love a get ready tagline too. It's just like um, was it Ricky and the Flash? Get ready for Ricky and the Flash. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm so no, here trying to get ready. Get like, ready. Yeah. I don't even know how to get ready for this. I'm seeing here that it was used for total recall. I don't know if that was the original. I I, hmm. I also when wow, I Googled it got some total it. recall. But let's see what the actual tagline for total recall was. Not the con. Yes, it was get ready for the ride of your life. Hey. The only thing that I sort of mind more than a get ready tagline is um X Studio cordially invites you to because it, I yes. always feel offended because I feel like what, you're asking me to buy a ticket. You're not inviting me to anything. If you're inviting <laughs> me to it, that's a where, fair point. Like, you are not invited. Where's right. the free ticket are, and right. where's the food and where's the party? You are invited <laughs> to buy a, a ticket. You're of course right. invited at normal prices. <laughs> right. What you're what you what they're really saying is like Columbia Pictures cordially puts you on the hook for fifteen ninety nine. <laughs> Columbia Pictures cordially is pointing out that this film will be on sale. Right. For you. I I was going down a YouTube uh, uh, trailer rabbit hole last night, and I watched the trailer for Jingle All the Way because I remember that having like a very funny misdirect teaser as a child that they uh, made it look like an action film and then subverted it. Um, sure. But but that that movie was produced by Chris Columbus who was going to direct yes. it and then handed off the reins to uh, Brian Levant, right? Who did the Flintstones movies and, and Beethoven, I think. Yes. Right. Uh, um, he did Beethoven one. He did both Flintstones. He did snow right. dogs, did a lot of, a lot of hits. Yeah. And, and the trailer uses the very confusing from the director of Mrs. Doubtfire and the director of the Flintstones, mm-hmm. which I think that's, not That's fair play. Double dealing. It's not. It's not. Right? But you know, I think I think if your producer is the director of a big hit film, you can't credit them as from the director. I think you can do the from the guys or from the people yeah, who but brought if, you. If you took it to court, they could be like, "Well, it is from this movie them. is it's from from him. Christopher Columbus who right. directed Chris Columbus, not Christopher Columbus." Important distinction. And you know, so so you know, you can't sue us on this, and and I guess they'd be right. But that kind of crediting makes it makes it sound like Jingle All the Way is Christopher Columbus and Brian Levant doing the five obstructions. That it was a film of two two directors, <laughs> two titans wrestling control in every other scene. That I would like to be cordially invited to see. Yes, that I would watch. Chris, I'll cordially invite you anytime. Um, I'm just uh, realizing on top of all the, the World War II uh, talk we were doing at the at the beginning of this, uh, the last time you were on a main feed episode, Chris, was Lust Caution, which is also a World War II movie. That's right. Yes. And when you came on Patreon, it was to talk about Rogue One, a film that you wrote, which, which is, is also, yeah. a war movie. It is a war movie. I just love war. You've become one of our in-house resident war experts. I hope that I will be cordially invited anytime a war springs up you will but i'm curious as as we now dig into the deep end of the great allied off 2021 yeah i'm curious what for you 
do you find appealing about war films? Like, what are the central tenets of a good war film for you? What do you like in the genre? What do you aim to do when you've worked in the genre? Well, I guess, um, I guess it's like the heightened emotionality um, and the, the sort of uh, the, the, the heightened, like, uh, every, everything comes into strong contrast, right? Ethically, mm. morally. But I don't, I mean, I guess, I guess Rogue One is a, is a war movie. Uh, but, but other than that, I haven't really worked on much. Uh, well, I guess Operation Finale. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, I think it's this great, greatest generation malarkey where it's like, oh, you know, people had lives then. They were much more li- living on a sort of a higher level of existence because of the um, stakes involved. So the stakes are high. It's, I mean, it's like sports movies. It's a good thing to build a drama around because there's a game. Or they'll be yes. a winner and a loser. Like, there's a natural denouement there. And even if you're not covering the end of a war in your movie, it's, 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 a, yeah, it's an environment where the stakes are incredibly high and everyone's pushed to their upper limits. Yeah, I guess that's why there aren't many great cricket movies, eh, David? Hey. That's not true, Lagan. Oh, really? For example. Have you never seen Lagan? Oh, Lagan. I have not seen Lagan. Isn't it about Chris, 20, 20 hours long? Chris? It's three and a half hours. It's three okay. and a half brief hours. It might be four hours. It's 224 minutes long. Chris, please. I know you have children in a family and you don't have 224 minutes to just throw around, but <laughs> please watch Lagan. I think it's still on Netflix right now. Um, it's so good. I love it every time I've watched it. I've watched it many times. I Ooh. threw it on recently for Forky and I was like, look. You know, I know I've talked to you about this movie and you always roll your eyes at the, you know, four hour Bollywood cricket movie, but I promise you, you're going to like it. Five minutes in, she was like, I am totally vibing with this. This rules. We watched it. I think we watched it over two days. Like we, we split it up, but it's the best. I will say, I remember, and this is a cherished memory of mine from when I was 10 years old. We played, we were playing cricket in my primary school. And because it's a more advanced game, like I feel like you don't play it when you're really little. And I was really good at it. And the teacher in this first game we played said, the American kid is better than you at this. Like, you know, he was like yelling at the Brit. Shame. And I was like, I like so proud of the fact that I was one, okay at a sport and two, putting my uh, English computer. Yeah, well, that you could catch their own for one sport. thing. Uh, um, I could catch and throw. That reminds yeah. me of my first uh, ga- rugby uh, practice when um, they didn't know I was American and the, the coach stopped and said, stop, there's an imbecile in our midst because I didn't know what a number eight did. Anyway, wow. allied. Allied. Uh, allied. So set in Britain, uh, at least. You know, <laughs> How would you know that? <laughs> well... <laughs> What? Well, it's set mostly in Hampstead. It's set mostly in yeah. near near where I grew up. Um, it's you know a lot of shots of Hampstead Heath. Um, but yeah, Allied. Robert Zemeckis's Griffin. What do you want to estimate? Eighteenth film, somewhere right? around there, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he's made twenty or twenty-one in total. That's about eighteen. Yeah. I I remember as as we've sort of talked about in this late this final period of Zemeckis that we're covering the most recent period. Uh, post mocap, uh, yes. he's just constantly entertaining a lot of scripts. There are just a couple times a year you'll hear a couple times a year you will hear Zemeckis is circling this. He's interested in this, and then something yes. ends up going. But I remember pointedly this being a deadline story where it's like 
Zemeckis got the script. He loved it. He sent it to Coutier and Pitt. They loved it. They sign on. They start filming in 10 weeks. Like it mm-hmm. was like a, a rapidly moving train. Uh, it was just sort of this hot, hot script. Big movie stars attached. Big director attached. Paramount bought it for a lot of money. And they like ran right into it, positioned it. Big holiday season Oscar play. And then it just sort of uh, totally disappeared, which I think, mm-hmm. as we've sort of alluded to, partially because uh, it, it it's a movie that weirdly had the opposite mojo of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? <laughs> like, that's a movie where Brad Pitt's married. He does a movie with one of the most beautiful movie stars in the world. And everyone can't get over the idea of like, oh, my God, did they sleep together? Did it end the marriage or not? And it becomes this press hullabaloo and people thought it was going to doom the movie because historically it does in the mm-hmm. sort of classic like uh, a proof of life Puritanism. kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then it didn't. It was a major hit. And uh, then this movie, it felt like there was a lot of gossip around it, like, you know, as soon as they started filming. Uh, and it was very unclear whether there was any merit to it or if it was just the kind of basic gossip construction that happens whenever two incredibly attractive people work together. Um, but it felt like it, it sullied the movie in some kind of way, yes. not the positive way. It didn't help the movie no, save 155 po- right. it souls. It didn't land the movie in the it um, didn't land the movie. East River. Exactly, exactly. But I, uh, but it was, I also it was think, in the Hudson, Chris. Yeah. Jesus oh, Christ. <laughs> you would never try and land a plane in the East River. There's a bunch of bridges. It's too gross. Um, uh, and it's too gross. Um, I, as far as I know, and I sort of dug around about this, it was all that was all not true like it, it was just fake. they were like well it has to be this right. right and i think it just was was not i mean you know their marriage fell apart for more ordinary personal dysfunctional reasons and, and um, Coutillard so is still I mean, with uh kane i mean her marriage is still intact Right, and and as Chris was about to say, they have no chemistry they in this movie, right, Chris? don't seem to like each other that much. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, and I, all right, look, Griffin, look, okay, I got it, I'm going to say, you know, okay. you, you okay. liked this movie when it came out, and you yes. famously nominated it for Best Screenplay at the Blankies. Yes, sir. Uh, and I I scoffed. You went, what? I went, what? What are you talking about? allied for a screenplay i'll stand by the fact that i don't know if the screenplay but we'll talk about that but when i saw this movie at the time i was kind of bummed out by it i thought it was a little flat trump had just gotten elected i didn't want to deal with it and that was so you were like too amped you were too excited it it was kind of (laughs) (laughs) i just wanted to be outside you know waving flags no yeah yeah no um and so i feel like i probably didn't give this movie a fair shake i want to say there's a lot i admire about it i think it's interesting i enjoyed watching it again i i don't know that i came around to like allied triumphalism but i liked it but did you get uh, did you get ready like for it, it? Did, did you get ready did you, for it did you get ready did, did for I the allied of your ready? life <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I believe the tagline was the enemy is listening um, hmm. which is fine. That's inspiring. Um right. But uh but but Pitt and Cotillard, yeah. I don't know. They're not jumping off the screen to me. Two beautiful I mean, people, two mm-hmm. wonderful to look at folks. Look, I'm going to try probably in vain to mount my argument for this, but it is pointedly I think a very bottled 
movie, right? Which is one yes. of the things that yes. I think works against it. As you say, you know, the idea of doing a classical World War II movie is to be able to use these operatic emotions in front of a grand sort of backdrop, you know, with these high hmm. stakes and high passions and high tensions and all of that. And this is very much a movie about emotionally reserved people, which puts it sure. at odds with the sort of genre that it is homaging and the era of films. I would say it is homaging. Um, but I also think this is a movie that is so much about not being able to read people and to a certain degree, rather than mm -hmm. making this more of a tragic romance where the first 40 minutes are just, oh my God, can you believe the fucking tension between these two people? The chemistry is off the charts. And then the rest of the movie becomes the tragedy of look at how it all falls apart. I think it's deliberate. You can argue whether it works against the ultimate goals of the movie. It is deliberate that they are never explosively uh, sort of uh, electric with each other yeah. because the movie is about yeah. never being able to totally gauge where they stand. Well, there is that weird, that. Th there is that weird um, childbirth scene. Wild. Wild. I, holy which is, shit. Which is I, yeah. bananas. Um, yes. Is, uh, Marion Co so it's for, for those not familiar with this movie, Marion Cotillard gives birth during the Blitz while the hospital is being hit by bombs. <laughs> They're rolling her out outside. on a bed. They, they She births their child on the streets. Yes, and she's like, look at me, this is me before God. Like she has a whole monologue. Right, which she, definitely she seems a bit mention, sus, actually, in retrospect. Right. Yes, well, that's, absolutely. Right, supposed, that's the moment. Giant yeah. red flag. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yes, also like I think she says she's part of the Assassin's Creed in that monologue. She's spilling <laughs> yeah. a lot of beans in that monologue. You have to find says, the apple. Enter the animus. <laughs> she also pulls Brad Pitt close to her right after the baby is born and starts sharing a lot of nine eleven theory she has. <laughs> but it is in retrospect, yes, it is an absolute warning sign that the first thing she can say during a bomb strike mm -hmm. after giving birth to a child is like. Look at me. I'm too exhausted to lie now. Yeah. Like, that's essentially what she's saying. Like, you can right, trust right. me because I don't have the energy to pretend to be someone else right now. Well, right. this is, I mean, right. it made me think about childbirth scenes in general in movies, which I, I, I think are never, ever, ever realistic, right? There's a Strikes trope, me. There's a series of tropes. Right. It strikes me it's so impossible to actually realistically depict childbirth that instead they just go by the book most of the time. Right. It's like yeah. this is how we do this in Hollywood. So we're just going to do this for sure. My th this is going deep. But my, my wife um, had an emergency C-section for for yeah. for our first baby, which was in London, by the way, at John Lizzie's hospital birthing Thanks. ward. And um, and although that was very stressful, I also was secretly relieved I didn't have to go through the movie scene. Where, oh, sure. where your the your loved one is screaming in pain, right? The the and, the, the twenty four plus hours, yes. perhaps, uh, right? Yes. Um. So what does that amount to? Is that I'd only been told uh, by movies like how what childbirth is like, and it would seem bad enough, but I'm sure right. it's actually much 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 more painful. Um. And also, of course, the baby is always better looking than a baby is when they when they hand Marion Cotillard the baby, I'm like, oh, that baby's eight months old. Yeah. Okay. You put yeah. some. You put some goo on it. But yeah. yeah, Hollywood has some sort of unfair casting processes when it comes to uh, newborn infants. They definitely. Yeah. I do you want. Know. 
It must be such a pain in the ass to corral a newborn. Have uh, you ever had to deal yeah, with wait. a baby, Chris? Do like, they have to audition? Do they, they have, have to send a tape to. in? <laughs> of oh, like send photos, yeah, or video well, or whatever. Yeah. But you, what, you know, your audition is actually the birth of the child because then you want to get as close <laughs> as possible to what the baby's like as the newborn. And then that's you like the first thirty of them. Camera test, right? That's like <laughs> the old Hollywood. Like they pay to put you on a, a camera test to shop around. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. What, who? What, what was the famously bad CGI baby? Was it American Sniper? I think was, was American famous? Sniper yeah. has American a, Sniper a is like a plastic yeah. baby, right? Right. Yes. It's just like a straight up doll. Um, yeah. Then like then, Bradley Cooper drops at one point and nobody even yes. notices. It's not that bad, but it's it's pretty bad. Right. There later Twilight films. You were pre baby. Right. I was pre baby. There's um, there's a very odd CGI baby which Renesme. Right. Renesme. Yes. Show some respect, go. please, David. Put some respect I, I, on that. I, name. It's just a name I struggle with. Renesme. Renesme. There you go. Well it's it's obvious that, it's a combination of Renee and Esme, obviously. So, yeah, yeah, of course. Very yes, obvious. Yes, yes. Um but that one's an odd example because they built the practical baby first. And then mm-hmm. they made it CGI, and you see the CGI baby. You go, that thing is so frightening looking. Why wouldn't they use the practical? And then you see the practical. <laughs> then you see the practical baby. 80 times more frightening. <laughs> it is absolutely the single most cursed thing ever dev- designed for a movie. The, the practical baby actually created the Conjuring universe just it's when it. it was created. Yes. That, right. just, that all came out of that baby. I remember I got uh, a, yeah. speaking of that, that particular movie, I got a call about... Um, you know, because I, I, I was kind of one, one and done on the on the Twilight uh, saga, right. and and they called me about the next movie just to say, like, you know, there's a scene where maybe we could, you, you could, you could sort of help us with the writing of it. Um, is there a way that you could make it like less kind of scary and creepy that that um, Jacob immediately falls in love with this baby? And I said no. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. No, that's that's just a yeah. tough needle to thread. Guess what? That's an impossible concept to get across. That's like, you know, the only medium in which that could possibly work is in a novel in which people can interpret it in their mind and adjust yeah. it however right. is least objectionable for them. You cannot visually put that on screen. It is such an absolute breaking point it's for the franchise. Yeah, yeah, huge. The tallest order. I mean, it's it's like a Ben Hosley, Night Eggs, rich person sized order. 15 yes. feet tall. Yeah. Well, listen, we're, no, that's going to be fine. Sorry, you're no, that'll be fine. Right. Yeah. No, that's a yeah, short I mean, order. it'll, it'll, like the hobbits and, you know, they've perfected yeah. it at this point, right? I, yeah. I, you just saying the hobbits, that, that's all we needed to hear. <laughs> of course, the they perfected it. You're right. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
So, Allied. Guys, let's yeah. talk Allied. Allied is a 2016 war thriller made by Robert Zemeckis. It was written by Stephen Knight, who I would say mm-hmm. is one of Hollywood's most unpredictable screenwriters. Yeah. Can we talk about Knight? Can we unpack Knight? Can yeah. we have a, a hard for day's a night for a moment? Yes. Yes. Because he's, he's pro- written he's some very prolific. I, I, I looked very at prolific. Yeah. Yes. He, when, when Serenity came out, uh, his yeah. third film as a director, uh, which I feel like was one of the more clowned upon films last year or 2019 mm-hmm. but a film that yeah. i've always defended for its its bug nuts nature it's it's ambitious it's a wild ambitious movie it, it makes i would say it makes some mistakes but i i i like you know i like the ideas or i like David, what he's going for or, yeah. i don't disagree i will but, i will give you that serenity makes some mistakes <laughs> It does. It does. But it's a movie I ultimately think you have to applaud its its wild ambition uh, in many ways. And also a movie where I have always contended it plays a lot better if you know the ending going in. Um, but, but, <laughs> but, when that movie came out, someone on the Blank Check subreddit posted, like, the argument for doing a Stephen Knight series at some point and saying, mm-hmm. like, he's got one of the weirdest Blank Checks ever and that his guarantor is who wants to be a millionaire. And I was like, yeah. did Stephen Knight win Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? No. Did he self-finance he a movie? He created it. Stephen Knight yeah. created the British version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and then became a very acclaimed Tony screenwriter. And then he wrote That's fucking weird. Dirty Pretty Things and got nominated for an Oscar and has had this like strong career, working Guys, a lot. A lot of big weird. directors, directed three movies of his own. Do you want to know what the initial title for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was before they came up with that very effective title, I would say? Uh, that's a million dollars, ain't it? <laughs> for one, they were, they're, they're competing for a million pounds, but uh, also it was going to be called Cash Mountain. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh shit. That's better. Uh, I mean, are it you makes ready sense to climb climbing a mountain. Cash right, mountain? Yeah. Yeah. right, right. Anyway, it's just, just, that's like a very 30 rock title. That's all. Yeah. So I mean, presumably there would have been like a a pyramid of of cash. Yeah, there would set. have been some pyramid motif. Right? It would, the host it would, be would a dress like a mountaineer. Skin. He would have yeah. like ropes. <laughs> right, rather than the classic graphic of the amounts getting crossed off, instead the graphic would be a money pyramid and a little mountaineer with a pickaxe, and he would just get Sherpa higher and higher up the mountain. Who doesn't get the money? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the goat just eating dollars. Yeah. Cash bound. Um, but uh, yeah, his uh, his big breakthrough was that he wrote Dirty Pretty Things, which is a very good movie, mm-hmm. Stephen Frears film, and got a surprise screenplay nomination at the Oscars for it, mm-hmm. um, which, and, you know, that's like that. It's got no other nominations. That movie kind of, you know, snuck in. Uh, I like Eastern Promises a lot. That was another early yeah. screenplay of his. Mm-hmm. Good that's, movie. That's a movie I really am a fan of. Then he kind of goes away for a while. He directs a movie, Hummingbird, that doesn't really exist doesn't with go. Jason Statham. Com- right, mm. but he comes back that year, Hummingbird. He also writes Closed Circuit, which doesn't exist as well, the Eric right. Bana uh, CCTV thriller. He does lo- wrote, wrote and directed Locke, which is right. wonderful. Wow, I didn't realize Hummingbird out the and same Locke year. are the same year. That's wild. And Ben, he creates Peaky Blinders. Right. Good show. 
Uh, which, you know, the, the drama of, of course, 19 teens, Birmingham gangsters that everybody loves that I think is like still on the air. It's one of those shows that's just never going to die. This guy, this um, guy is, uh, it has like two careers jammed into one. This reminds me of when I, I realized that I thought Brie Larson and Alison Brie were the same person. And I was like, wow, she's got such a huge career. Where did you find the time? Yeah. But then you look <laughs> at this, this. This next run post-Locke, right? Locke is like a movie that makes his mark as a director. And you go like, oh, maybe now he's going to like transition to being more of a director, writing his own material, scrappy little, you know, actor-based indie films like this. And then he just does like 100-foot journey, right? Disney Lassie Hallstrom cooking movie. He does Seventh Son, which is like a disastrous universal fantasy franchise starter. Pawn Sacrifice, the Ed Zwick Mm -hmm. Bobby Fischer movie. Mm. He does Burnt, which was his Mm -hmm. script forever. And for 10 years, that was like this script where like Fincher almost made it with Keanu Reeves. There were always like big pairings. And then it finally gets made with Bradley Cooper. John Wells doesn't exist. I Mm. would argue, though, not a bad script. It has some some spicy scenes. Clearly see it. You're like. Yeah, I could see how this was a hot thing. Like, yeah, I could see I mean, how directors were into this. Everyone considered making it. And then and then Allied, which is like, here's my yes. spec script, bidding war. Three major talents come up. Paramount Pictures gives it a big opening weekend, and it disappears. And then since then, yeah, weird. Like, he writes The Girl in the Spider's Web. He directs Serenity. And he is now, of course, writing Lockdown, the Doug Lyman COVID-based heist movie starring Anne Hathaway, Chiwetel Ejiofor, David Sims, and Olivia Craig. Yeah, of course. David Sims is in there. Of course, you're forgetting that he created C, the Apple TV drama set in the the future where everyone's blind that Jason Momoa was in. This guy... It really He's just writes and writes. I want, yeah. I want his writer drugs so that I can do his much stuff. I'm sorry, taboo. I also have to mention... Yes, Taboo. He created the British uh, Victorian ah, yeah. crime Tom drama Taboo with Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy's father, Chips yes. Hardy. Chips Hardy. But also, he wrote, Chips. he wrote the, cool. the Angry Scrooge Who Fucks version of Christmas Carol last year. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Guy Pierce was, I believe, yeah. right? Was Scrooge, yes. I mean, so it's a, it's a very odd career. Yes. But man here's works. the other thing. Allied, which he is solely credited for, and I'm seeing here on Wikipedia that he got a blanky nomination for writing, incredible, mm. uh, <laughs> is based on like a story he heard. Like It's like one of those things where he's like, oh, you know, like a friend of my dad's told me this story. Uh-huh. No, no, my aunt of like a, lay, a guy who fell for a French woman and they, you know, he knocked her up and she gave birth and then found out she was a German spy. Like, and you're just like, it's not like this is a a uh, concrete story not, that there's right. documentation mm. of. No. It's just like a crazy story from the war that he heard. And it mm-hmm. definitely feels like it is uh, structured like a fable in that way. And and I have to make it clear when I when I laud this film's screenplay, it is mostly that I find the structure of it incredibly interesting. I like the structural idea of it. Yeah, I, I I understand others do not like it as much as me. But structurally, this movie has some interesting ideas. I, I, right off the bat, if we're digging into the meat, I love that this movie spends ostensibly 45 minutes on the epilogue, right? Mm-hmm. That, right. that there's a, a lot of time where you're essentially embedded in the early stages of this relationship. 
and it's like an ice cold open, right? I mean, you have this weird, like, we, we've talked about most Zemeckis movies open with complicated tracking shot, getting you into an environment or getting you out of an environment and giving you all the details of the character's life before anyone speaks. And this movie has like 10 minutes before a word is is really kind of uttered. Uh, and it's it just opens with like black, white title cards and then Brad Pitt mm-hmm lands a parachute in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere. Love that. Right. Mm. Opening shot, his feet, love, you know, floating into the screen. Right. Into the yeah, it's just it's a nice conceit. Right. Just sort of silence, you're, you're no sort of, score. You're in Lawrence of Arabia territory for about three minutes. Right. Yes. This guy has He's literally just dropped into the movie, into the middle of the desert, in the dunes, and then a car drives up and they sort of have the silent exchange and handoff of objects. And there's something kind of cool to like, Starting with no information, you know, right. other than the only that's information a weird is, entrance. Uh, yeah. And then the only thing he's told is your wife will be wearing a purple dress. And it's basically like show up, you know, know how to act. And you're yeah. going to have to kiss a beautiful woman and take her upstairs, essentially. Right. Great. Great. I love it. I mean, of course, this I like. Chris, a couple yeah. of things. One, I feel like you have not actually weighed in with your take on Allied. And two, what do you think of the opening? Well, uh, so first of all, um, uh, disclaimer, I'm in the tank for Bobby Z. Mm. I'm working with him now and not just That's that, true. but I, I like him very much. So you're, you're currently I'm, whittling a screenplay for him. Is that fair to say? I am. And I, I'm also, I'm, I'm producing him as well. So yes. I'm all around you're, him. You're I'm all up in trying his, to uh, turn the, the screenplay into a real movie. Indeedy. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, called Pinocchio. It is about, um, a, a boy, no, a puppet mm. who wants to be a boy. I forgot oh, for a interesting. Second. That's an interesting twist. Boy yeah. wants it's to be a puppet. Uh, who can remember? It's, a, it's an original idea that I came up yeah, with. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, right. Your aunt script. told you about it. So, yeah. but my take on it is <laughs> is, is partly informed by my uh, liking of the man, also mm-hmm. informed by the fact that my dad was OSS, and so I grew up with him watching mm. uh, World War II movies and his constant critique of these movies and so i've got him in my head kind of you know it, it was just no fun actually watching a world war ii movie with him because he'd be like that is not the right divisional ensign for insignia for that panzer division right. and stuff right like ah, fine um but i do i do also really like the opening uh uh shot of this i like i like the opening moments i do think it is a quite old-fashioned in as much as the i think the modern mind says what what but why did they wait to tell him what she was going to wear and until he got into the car like did they not brief him at all in advance like wouldn't it have been more sort of technologically ahead of time actually but interestingly i guess a lot of this movie depends on the fact that nobody has the internet um yes yes so you can't google somebody's picture i was gonna say this too and it makes perfect sense that this is a movie based on a story he kind of heard from somebody but this is very much a movie that operates from from top to tail in the world of movie logic right Mm -hmm. i mean pretty much every decision that everyone makes and how they go about it and the processes that are presented to them are all movie logic where you have to accept that that's the way it's happening because that's the way the movie wrote it. Yeah, like wouldn't you go meet your your n- newfound wife 
in private first, and then she'd give right. you a little bit of a pep talk ahead of time, right. and then you'd go right. to the, the the cafe or the the. Well, you the go bar. to the roof afterwards. Yeah, you go to the roof. A- everything roof only action. happens the way yeah. it does because it would make for, in theory, a more engaging scene in a movie, right? Yes. I mean, you're you're absolutely correct. They would meet in private somewhere, even if they have to go to that restaurant. They would find a way to have her step out or meet him in the bathroom or some shit. But instead, you get this weird disorienting cold open, and you get him walking in, eyeballing the the silent exchange of the two of them looking at each other and right. having to sort of go like, this is now an arranged marriage. We're now jumping into the deep end. Yeah. yeah. We're in the world of stylish choices and um, and, and also like heavily elusive to the to, to, to older movies. Like there's a, she, she literally says, I've loved you since Casablanca, right, at one point. Um, yeah, pretty yes. early on. And so <laughs> this is the world we're in. And, and if you're on, if you can get ready for that ride, get ready for the ride of your life, I would say. I would, I, I am trying to get ready for the ride of my life, of course. Yeah. This is the other thing I feel like we need to mention. I say right off the bat, one hour into the episode. But right off the bat, I think we need to acknowledge, I feel like a lot of the complaints I hear about this movie stem from the visual look. That he is hmm. making a very old-fashioned movie that it operates on this sort of like classic kind of 40s romantic movie logic, but he's using a lot of CGI. And mm-hmm. obviously yes. the films surrounding this are more like classic Zemeckis-y showcase movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like The Walk is pretty much a movie built entirely around we can reconstruct this thing and recreate this thing. JD has talked about it at length, about how that movie is clearly trying to to work past a sort of l- literal uh, evocation of a real space and more sort of storybook kind of dreamlike uh, representation of a place. And I feel like he is using digital technology in this movie, not just how much digital backdroppery there is, clear, like, you know, uh, uh, color mm-hmm. correction, mm-hmm. and even just their faces look a little mo cappy at times. It is a movie where it feels like he's using CGI like. Uh, How do I even put this? I I feel like he's weirdly using CGI to approximate old-fashioned visual Mm -hmm. trickery, right? Like, it's like the way he's using virtual backdrops in this is like it's rear projection or like it's matte paintings. So the same way that the way he's sort of touching up their faces feels like it's gauze on the lens or something, you know? It is painterly, you might say. Yes, but like yeah. you know, give me a little grain. Like I, I know this is the most boring complaint these days, but like, you know, like if you're making a throwback movie, I would enjoy some, you know, not it. It, it looks a little flat and digital mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's not the end of the world. No, these are handsome people. I like to look at them. I think the first act of this movie. He's pretty arresting. Like I, yeah. I basically dig it. You know, like the mystery the, of all it, the, the stuff yeah. is right. Is just good. It's I like how stripped away it is. Stripped, you know, stripped down it is. Uh, I like that we, you know, we barely need to know their names. We barely need to know if anything they're saying is real. I like that the mission is pretty direct. We're gonna shoot that guy. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, I, I like, I, and I like Casablanca. Who doesn't? I came, I came here for the waters. The first act of this movie is like the middle of Castaway in how sort of stripped down and sparse it is. The tools he's using for a guy who's been known to use a lot of flash and use a lot of uh, sharp dialogue. Right. Yeah, the dialogue, not <laughs> tippy top, I think. I, look, I, 
can't disagree. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Gets a little ropey at times, but I also think the movie wisely does not rely on dialogue too much. It doesn't yeah, it require. It relies on a lot of looks. Yeah. Brad, Brad doesn't have to speak too much French. Um, yes, it's uh, not his strong suit. It's it's a look movie for me. I mean, we like when we did uh, Manchurian Candidate on the show. Uh, and talked about like the value of Demi doing a Manchurian Candidate remake is his sort of sort of uh, subjective camera, right? His whole visual style of looking mm-hmm. characters straight in the eye when they speak works very well with that material because it's a movie about trying to look someone in the eyes and figure out whether or not they're on the level, whether or not they can be trusted, which version of a person you're talking to, this and that. I think the way he's using movie stardom in this movie... And I'm not saying this is like a meta movie about movie stardom, but he pointedly cast two ginormous stars, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And two people who have their own sorts of chemistry. I do think it is a movie about performance in a way that is aided by having two people who are that innately arresting, even in a movie that is trying to tamper down their natural charisma. Because so much of the movie is just like... I don't know. She really seems like she's on the level, right? But then also, this is Marion Coutillard. She can play whatever you ask her to play. You know? Yes. I you think guys seem she's wildly certainly... unconvinced. Yeah. Well, she's... I, she, <laughs> look, I mean, I remember when I interviewed him, he, you know, Zemeckis was very much like she was the only choice. And, if, like, she has the look of an old, you know, mm-hmm. she European does. movie star, right? I mean, <laughs> she's... she. It's what helped her endure in Hollywood, I think, you know, after she won this sort of early surprise Oscar. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what to say about her performance in this movie. Does she act as well in English as she does in French? I think she definitely acts better in French. I think she's a good English language actor, but I think she's certainly next level in, in France. In French, when in usually, usually when she's in an English language movie, like the Nol- the way Nolan uses her, or um, what are some other? Come on, give me you know, Public Enemies. Yeah, like mm-hmm. she is good at playing um, like mystery women. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, these very dramatic, you know, sort of leap off the screen figures, right? You know, mm-hmm. and. Then you see her in Rust and Bone, or you see her in uh, Two Days, One Night, right? You know, the the French Very long engagement, yeah. Uh, and you're like, oh my God, this is such a natural, like, sort of human performance. Like, and you rarely see that from her in a Hollywood movie. Now, is that because Hollywood just looks at her and is like, oh my God, va va voom? Like, you know, possibly, yes. I think there's some degree of that. I mean, certainly, like, I, you know, Nolan kind of uses her in that kind of classical bombshell sort of way right uh, but then not, you look nine at her, is another one right but i'm looking at other things here too and it's like the immigrant is sort of asking her to play old golden age movie she, star she, mm-hmm. she she's great in that that's that's, she's that's sort that. of the right vibe because that's like an old-fashioned movie she's playing an immigrant obviously so you know like you know it, it makes sense that her faculty with english is is not much and you know like that that's yeah that's a great performance she's absolutely one of my favorite actors alive even if she's not someone where i'm like oh she's given my five favorite performances of the last decade she's someone i always find very engaging and i think she has 
a really strong command over her screen presence. And as you said, she can do things like Rust and Bone and and uh, Two Days, One Night, where she's like speaking in her own language, very stripped down, very elemental, very behavioral. Or she can be used in that Assassin's Creed way where she's like, what do you want me to play? You want me to play like an ingenue, a femme fatale? I'm like mm. mystery woman right. who's classy and makes your exposition sound less silly? Done, you know? And this movie's sort of the midpoint between those things. I mean, obviously more in the classical bent, but you also get another thing I like about this movie is that a lot of it takes place in other languages. Like that is a threshold that I thought was really going to be broken after Inglorious Bastards, where that movie was such a big hit and like probably one third of that movie is in English and mainstream American audiences went and supported a movie that is like largely spoken in German and French. And I thought like, oh, finally, now if people are making period films in foreign countries, they will actually make the film where people are swapping, going back and forth between a couple languages, speaking natively as they would in any given scene. Um, Like, for example, The Walk is a, a, a terrible example of French people who all only speak English to each other because they want the movie to play in America. And the justification in the script is... Oh, come on, let's speak in English. I'm trying to improve my English. <laughs> right, of course. That actually, when they said that, I completely understood and that made everything right. make sense. Right, but I like that this <laughs> yes. movie, it's like you get a lot of scenes of her speaking in French, him speaking She's, less well yeah. in French. It, it mm-hmm. allows her a certain comfort. Curiously, she speaks, she speaks English to the German attache at the embassy. That was yes, awesome. That, that's... That's where the rule, I guess, is just thrown out the window where it's like, look, let's just all speak galactic basic here. If we've got three languages in the room. But actually, they sort of they, they, they complicate matters as well by saying, oh, Brad Pitt doesn't speak English. He only speaks Ger- French. Speak German. So oh, I mean, right. Yes. So, yes. so yeah. curiously, they're speaking English seemingly out of caprice. To, uh, yes, then, to, yeah. to be mean, right? Yeah. yeah, right. That's how they get away with that. Anyway. Re Pitt, re Brad Pitt, mm. re Pitt. Sure. At, you know, I would say 2011. He has this dynamite year. That's sort of the, you know, the pinnacle of this whole era of his career. That's been so exciting. Where he has the Tree of Life, he has Moneyball, and of course, he has Happy Feet too. Right. Um, and that's just he, three three great sh- performances. Yeah, he should have won three Oscars that year. <laughs> exactly. Best actor. Best, best actor in an actor, animated film. Yeah. Yes, best, best supporting film. krill. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, you know, he's still like, I would just say he enters this phase where he's just a raggedy guy. So you got like killing him softly. Uh, World War Z, 12 Years a Slave, The Counselor, Fury, This, By the Sea, The Big Short. This is this whole period where even when even in World War Z and this, where he's a yeah. marquee idol, he's kind of like quiet and grumpy and mm. sort of mumbly. And then like also just seems very drawn to playing these like really raggedy guys in supporting roles, popping up and stuff, being weird. You know, I, it feels like think- he's working through stuff. Obviously, his marriage was falling apart. It turns out, you know, but go ahead. Sorry. 
That's a part of it. I think it was also like him finding his real zone as an actor. As you said, like 2011 was like his most successful year creatively, right? And he's starting to find the roles he can fit into as well. But I also think there's a narrative that we see a lot uh, talking about movie stars on this show where guys who are just like otherworldly beautiful kind of Mm -hmm. can't wait until they start losing a little bit of their pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, for a guy like Brad Pitt, I think he views like the wrinkles starting to come in as a gift because they can still make a movie like Allied where you give him an $80,000 haircut and a perfect suit and he looks great and he's got the cheekbones. But he is now a little more weary, you know, and so it allows him to play savory people, unsavory people rather. But it also allows him to play, you know, sort of broken down former golden boys. Um, which I think, as you yes. said, he just runs with. He runs with. He wants to play people who have some kind of axe to grind, chip on their shoulder, something they're holding on to tightly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, when he does uh, Once, Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. he actually sort of emerges from that a bit. I mean, he still has the broken downness, but he's having fun with it, as opposed to something a bit medicinal about. Yeah. When a guy's yes. like, yeah, now I'm going to play the broken man and it's going to be really sad. It just his performance in Allied does feel like he's like, I'm going to tie both arms behind my back and see how I do. I don't actually think this is a bad performance. I think at the end, he, it is deeply felt what's happening to him. You know, I don't think, you know, it does not feel like he's like sleepwalking through this movie in the slightest. I agree. But it is interesting how insanely reserved he is for so much of you know how right like how resistant he is to turn on the charm button yes right you you hire a movie star with such innate charm pointedly to say now can you actively work to suppress all of that charm i only want the bare minimum charm coming through just to keep people engaged watching you on screen um my my i think i've said this before in the show but my sister who is uh, nine years younger than i and so she kind of came of age as Pitt was transitioning into his clenched period, when I took her to see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, she turned to me and she went like, I didn't know Brad Pitt was such a movie star. Mm. And it was such a funny thing where it's like, she's grown up with Brad Pitt being one of the dominant like movie stars in the culture. And she's seen a handful of his movies, but they were always him playing kind of angry, clenched, or closed off or bottled in some sort of way. And that was like the first movie she had seen in her lifetime having not seen the Oceans movies, too young for them, uh, right. that, uh, that where she was like, oh, he can be this charming? Like, he can look this good and be this alluring? And, and yeah, it's like, that's why he slam dunk won the Oscar, because people were just like, okay, now he's like taken everything he's learned from his serious sojourn and brought it back to him being mm-hmm. like the sexiest dude in the world. And this movie, Allied, is absolutely in like the dead center nadir of those two points. Mm-hmm. What are your pit yeah. thoughts, Chris? My pit thoughts. Uh, so a pit stop. Um, I think yeah. I think he's very intent on not having fun here, and and right. maybe that makes it less fun for us. Yes, this is not really a fun movie. No, the beginning is Definitely a little not. fun, and then after that, it's surprisingly unfun. I like how sad this movie is. I could never argue it's fun. I don't think it's a corker. It's sad. Well, what I mean, yes, Marion Cotillard shoots herself in the head in front of her husband. But is that really sad? 
It does happen. While their baby her, and don't forget sits her baby. in the car. Yeah, her baby's yeah. right there. Yeah. But it's happy because he's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go to Medicine Hat. Yeah. Filmmaking-wise, this does feel like him using the tools from Castaway in a very different type of story, but it has that sort of inherent loneliness to it that mm-hmm. I think Castaway has. For a guy who's so much about energy, right? Like, Zemeckis is such a kinetic filmmaker in whatever genre he's working in, and his movies are usually very fast-paced and are about the sort of back and forth between the performers, whether they're comedies or dramas or action films. Like, he's a guy who keeps everything moving. And uh, this, like, starts out, as I said, where Castaway takes an hour to get to, of just everything being really drawn out. And these guys, these Mm -hmm. two main actors, who are sort of, like, holding back all the natural charm, which I think is deliberate, you can argue, it works against the movie's best interest, but because these are two people who, like, they keep saying it in the movie, like, don't don't get emotional, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, don't let your emotions get involved here. You're mm-hmm. seeing two people, you're meeting them cold, you don't know whether or not to take them on the level, and all you know is that these people spend their entire life faking relationships. So I think to some degree this movie is about, like, the uneasiness of being in a serious relationship with somebody. The sort of inherent trust you have to commit to. I'll never fully know another person. And this is like the nightmare scenario of mm. it, right? For a while, for about an hour of it, it feels like it's a movie about infidelity, right? And in, in, within a right. marriage. Right. Um, and then they are, it turns out, allied uh, by the end of it. But... Um, yeah, actually... I, oh, I just wanna, okay. Yeah, you see, that's yeah. what... Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got it. I, I I just want to interject that there is there's a scene in which uh, Marion Cotillard's character is kind of try, testing the metal of Brad Pitt's character by slowly unbuttoning her her blouse lower and lower, and I just kept on imagining that it would also work if Brad Pitt were doing that. Oh, absolutely! Just, yeah, absolutely. Just Showing slowly revealing his pectoral muscles. Yeah, absolutely. I also like that Brad. Brad Pitt's reaction to that is Jesus. <laughs> like, like, he's yeah, not on, like, you oh, you're playing a good game and I, 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 can, I can see what you're doing there. Like, he's just like, all right, God, my God, you're unbuttoning your shirt at lunch. <laughs> what am I supposed <laughs> to do here? I'm having an egg. <laughs> I love all the weird formality of that. Like, I like that this movie isn't, it, it, look, it is obviously not realistic, but I think on an ecstatic level, it gets at some kind of interesting truth about what it must be like to be a career spy, right? And it, right. It just like the, the rooftop scenes are so fascinating to me because they don't have the kind of megawatt sexual chemistry that you would expect from this movie with these two actors. What mm. they have is them having very banal sort of formal conversations about like like shop talk while she also directs him in real time through how to seem like they're a sexually active couple. Like that they're exchanging war stories while also she's like, and now you have to like kiss me here. Mm-hmm. This person's yes. watching. This, and I that I like that kind of stuff. The rules of pretending to be a fake couple. Obviously the Americans, that was about a real couple. But you know, like I like the, I like spy rules. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I like the scene. I, I love, um, 
uh, August deal. I'm sure you guys oh, agree. So Very, good. Obviously, yeah. he's in Inglorious Bastards. He's in the Daniel Brühl zone of like incredibly talented German actor who mm-hmm. does all this wonderful stuff in his home country. And anytime Hollywood comes calling, he's like, uh, "Is the film set in World War II? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What's what's the script called? Is it called uh, the uh, Nazi gets shot in the face? So is that my role? Yeah. Okay." It's actually very generous that Malik let him play like the conscientious objector because otherwise if he appears yes. in an American film, he's almost always playing like Nazi asshole number three. Right, exactly. Uh, he recently played Karl Marx. Shout out to uh, that movie, uh, the young Karl Marx. Um, <laughs> but he's great. I like the scene, the, that scene, The uh, right? Do you guys agree? You know, the... Yeah. the Write down the formula for phosphate for me right yes. now. Although they never pay off the formula for phosphate. I, mean, I was thinking like, um, right? Does he buy it or not? Yeah, he doesn't. That, that, it isn't, it's never paid off. And I, I, I think it might have been. Here's how I would have put a button on that scene. Uh, he would have just said, "Well, I don't even know what it is, but okay." That, you know, like that's the Forky and I. I was just like, "There's no way this guy knows what the formula for phosphate is." And she's like, "Well, maybe he looked it up beforehand, right? He knew a phosphate guy was coming through. I don't know. <laughs> I just Wikipedia'd it. <laughs> <laughs> I have in Carta right here, of course. Not the Nazi. The Reich has all the technology." Um, but and then the the assassination scene rules like I rules. Pitt and Cody are just murdering people with machine yeah. guns like yeah at, like a fancy party that that scene where she that that moment where she points her gun at the the nice society lady you know and the lady's like mm-hmm. you know like that's great I you know spy stuff great love it but but let's mention before that is them having sex in the car they've like the tension's uh, yes, been like slowly building between these two very bottled people and then they they go out to the desert they're in the car and she sort of like throws out like we could just die tomorrow right mm-hmm. i would have driven back to a nice bed but i guess yeah <laughs> i was just thinking like yeah, that thing- oh man that looks really uncomfortable like where are they I mean, that is a yeah. busted car yeah when when i was younger very aware that i'm still a young man even though i feel like i'm 87 but when i was younger i think as someone who grew up in new york city i used to very much fetishize the idea of having sex in a car because it seemed like mm-hmm. such a rite of passage mm-hmm. like such a suburban teenager thing uh like that's your that's your space that's that's mm-hmm. your domain the car you got to use the car uh, mm-hmm. And now I watch something like this and I just can't stop thinking about how uncomfortable it would be. It just makes me physically the uncomfortable, worst. yeah. Right, right. Especially yeah. someone with a fucked back. I'm just like, there's no way I could <laughs> I could enjoy that. Not a fuck back, a fucked back. I, um, yes, I, yes. I, I should make that clear. I am not the fuck back of Notre Dame. I do have a <laughs> fucked back. I'm trying to think, and I'm sure we've talked about this over the course of this miniseries, mm. but not a lot of sex scenes in Zemeckis movies. He's no, that's another, much like that's another thing. It's mm. not a topic of Agreed. frequent interest. There's a diffidence, yeah. You're seeing some Brad Tush. We do see yes. a lot of Brad's um, yep. buttocks. You do? Brad well, there's only butt. two of them. I mean, not, like not that many of them. You see both. <laughs> yeah, you see both. They're out of but that's <laughs> Look, it's uh, a thing that's come up that like certainly because uh, Zemeckis and Spielberg are so linked, Zemeckis is inherently a lot hornier than Spielberg, who feels like mm. he goes yes. out of his way to sort of avoid sex in his movies to some degree. 
And then when he does it in Munich, everyone clowns on it to this day. And Zemeckis does not often have like over sex scenes, but there is certainly a a greater strain of sexuality in his movies. But this feels like the one movie that is like kind of sexual in an adult way to me. There's this weird moment in the party, isn't there, where there's like this kind of the, the World War II version of a bro asking these two girls to make out. Yeah. And when they're like clearing everyone out of the party, a, a pit opens up a closet and yeah. there's like a topless woman being like chased by a guy, Benny Hill style, that she mm-hmm. asks him to go upstairs to check to see if anyone's fucking in the baby's room. Like yeah. it's, it's certainly, and then you have uh, Lizzie Kaplan as uh, Brad Pitt's incredibly horny uh, lesbian sister. Yes, yep. who's an actress who's almost 20 years younger than Brad Pitt, but uh, maybe they have different moms, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, really different uh, but moms. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I talked, so when I, I interviewed Zemeckis for this movie, he was grumpy, uh, not with me, just, I don't know, had a grumpy vibe. Uh, he's, I, and, I think he's but, one of these guys who doesn't want to give too much to the press. No, it feels like that's no, a thrill Definitely line. not. Yeah. And also, like, he's been doing this for so long. He doesn't need to talk mm. to some pipsqueak. Um, but, also, he's more of a film spotting fan. He was, like, angry that he was talking to you. Of course. Uh, yeah. But uh, I uh, remember we talked a lot about the whole, like, you know, undersung thing, especially in old movies, of, like, yeah, Britain in the 40s, those people were going crazy they were like the world could end we're being bombed all the time Mm -hmm. yeah they were drinking like crazy they were all having affairs obviously lots of men were overseas as well so like a lot of marriages had been like thrown to call you know like all kinds of crazy shit was happening they were doing things like cocaine you know Mm -hmm. and like it was just a wilder time than this. Usually, they were listening to swing music. They were they getting were listening nuts. to swing music, and they were having parties. And like you know, you think of Mrs. Miniver and these great British war movies, where it's like the stiff upper lip Brits and all that. But yeah, it was the apocalypse. Like you know, why wouldn't people be going crazy? Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's something striking about seeing like his office superior doing lines in the background of a party in which people are openly <laughs> fucking. But that feels like, I mean, it's the, it's the weird tension of this movie that it's like he's doing this pastiche thing, but then he's also trying to deflate it a little bit as well by having them use more modern language and showing that sort of like debauchery. But it's shot in, in a quite in quite a sort of conservative manner, right? That's the yes. interesting thing is it's not like you, you right. don't have like foreground somebody doing blow uh, no. kind of in, in a weird like color timed kind of thing. It's absolutely his least flashy movie, and and the flashiest shots are still locked down by and large. Like anytime he does some sort of fancy framing in the movie, it's mm. a pretty still, you know, shot held for a while. He's just doing something interesting with the composition yeah. and the layers. There's a great but, um, either split diopter or or fake split diopter shot where Brad Pitt is in bed being suspicious of. Uh, of Marion Cotillard and she's by a window and it's two different, oh. totally different plan, planes of mm-hmm. focus. It's, it's yeah. quite cool. I think. And I then, love I, that he shit. also does a sort of reprise of his contact shot of, of the mirror shot where you can't see the, the camera. Um, yes. With Brad as well. There's some, there's some cool it's a, stuff. It's coming. a less, less ostentation. It's less showy. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an unshowing movie, but let's just say the, the, the sex scene in the car is kind of like a denouement in, of to this first movie, right? Like the first 45 yes. minutes are kind of their own movie. And you could very much see that being the only story they wanted to tell. 
two people assigned to a mission as spies playing a married couple. They sort of fall in love. They execute the mission and then they go their separate ways, right? That could very much be the movie. But instead, you have this sort of, you know, this big denouement, this scene that for Zemeckis, it's alarming to see this kind of sex scene in a certain way, especially Mm. in a movie that does feel this old timey and old fashioned. You know, it's not like copious nudity, but you're seeing Brad Pitt's butt. You know, you're seeing those pie thrusts. And and there's also like Mad Max fucking sandstorm happening outside the window. There like is it's, a sandstorm. Well, the sandstorm right. feels like it's summoned by their sexual activity. Actually. Right, yes. right. It's right. it's right. so operatic. Right. This right. one right. moment is so operatic, and then they go back to being like pretty professional. Like you cut to them, you know, getting ready in the car. Uh, you know, briefing each other and they're making like little flirty comments. But to some degree, these are two characters who have been trained to like sever their emotions, right? They have learned how to become somewhat sociopathic. Well, I think he, but he's gone a bit gaga by that point though, right? Doesn't he say, he says twice, you know, to a magnifique, right? Sure, but he's saying it in his Brad Pitt, like clenched away, you know? To a magnifique. (laughs) Yeah. It's a chemical Uh, accent. Then they show up with the guns, they they mow everyone down, and then the film sort of jumps ahead to them being, uh, you know, him saying, let's let's go to London together. I'm going to take you to London. We're going to start over. Right. Okay. And so here's the thing. Okay. So as you say, this movie kind of has a long epilogue, right? That's yeah. partly because- Long prologue. It's second. Long prologue and a long epilogue, though. Correct. You know, right? Like, because the epilogue yeah. is another thing. But, right, the middle of this movie is like, all right, flash forward. And there's that birth scene that we talked about. But basically, it's flash forward. He's married now. They have a kid. They live in Hampstead. The war's still on. But they have this nice domestic right. life. His sister's there. Blah, blah, this blah. This is now, like, at and the 45-minute part, he, he pretty much resets and now does the standard Zemeckis opening where you, like, go through the house and see all the pictures on the wall. Yep. Yes. Right. Now right. now you're in the, the net neutral. Right. You're at the comfort, and the home base. Simon McBurney and Jared Harris playing British functionaries yep. who are a little Weird. cool uh, Weird I, I, I wrote down in my notes as soon as i saw simon's face oh shit simon mcburney skullduggery <laughs> yeah, he, he's not there to deliver good news it's true yeah, he's not like, his face, oh, like, right, let's oh get a drink. boy first of this all be uh, some, happy birthday some queasy cynicism is about to hit us yeah <laughs> But you get this, Uh, like, okay, they have this, like, beautiful domestic life, right? This idyllic house. They hang out with his sister. They got this beautiful baby born in the most extreme circumstances ever. And then you see, like, Brad Pitt's got a pretty normal, like, office job now. He's a a desk desk guy. Yeah, he works. Right. He he works at OSS or V-section or wherever. And they give him the heads up. He thinks it's going to be a promotion. Okay, okay. So Simon McBurney is like, your wife, Marianne Beausager, is a spy as far as we're you know we, we we're, we're getting information she stole this woman's identity she's a german spy you have to run a blue dye operation where you write some you know info down and we see if it gets passed along you know classic mm-hmm. thing right and then is introduced the craziest rule of all spying whereby sure. if your significant other proves to be a yes. spy you must kill him or her with your own hands or you get killed, right. which is kind of like... Right. You you have to do this or else you, you have to kill the mother of your child or else we'll know you're in on it too. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. It, it's like a looper They rule. tried to slip got, that curveball past us. Right. <laughs> you like, got to nope. close your own loop. <laughs> yes. Um, but this is not the movie's fault, but uh, Marion Cotillard 
what he should now do is do the blue uh, dye operation and sit and wait and, and find just out. just chill, yeah. Yeah, right, right. And instead, of course, the movie needs, you know, some stuff to happen. So he starts acting like a fucking maniac and running all over town being like, have you seen this woman? Like, do, is she the real Maria Bossager? And handing pictures to pilots and eventually <laughs> He's putting up to, flyers on right, Going to France himself <laughs> and interrogating a vomiting drunkard like on a surreptitious okay. prison break. Which is so funny that he barfs first. I love that. <laughs> yeah, where he's like, is this her? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's uh, she's great. Excuse me while I barf. I can't see a thing. <laughs> yeah, she had beautiful uh, yellow eyes. He's like, no, she has blue eyes. Oh, yeah, no, blue, whatever. May I play devil's advocate? Go ahead. This is where I think to some degree, and like not to psychoanalyze the man's life, right? But we talked about how Castaway... And What Lies Beneath are the two movies that come right after his divorce. And in the same way, uh, you know, most directors who have robust careers start to check off certain genre boxes of the types of films they want to make or the types of actors they want to work with. Very often in a long enough career, if a director goes through a divorce, there's a movie that is very clearly the divorce movie. movie. Mm. Right. There's a film that feels like and we don't know the details. Right. We don't know the details of his divorce. It's not super public. He remarries quickly. He worked with his first wife. He now works with his current wife. Who knows, right? But Castaway and What Lies Beneath are films that feel like obvious divorce movies, right? Like Castaway is a man being forced on an island by himself to figure out who he is. And What Lies Beneath is a movie about like the weird tension of a marriage that's been going on for a long time and reckoning with what they sacrificed to get to that point. And this feels like a sort of uh, a much more generous post-divorce movie about just trying to figure out like why relationships end on an allegorical level, right? The idea of there like being potentially at any given point a bomb under the table of a relationship mm-hmm. that could that could upset the entire yeah, thing. Sure. Be it something from the past or that they've changed, that they fundamentally changed, uh, you know, to no longer be compatible with you. And this movie's sort of about someone who like two people who fall in love at the one moment they could possibly fall in love. Right. If they had met a week earlier, she would have been a German spy. Not a week, but you know what I'm saying. And like after this, you know, she would have gone back to Germany. If he, you know, he hadn't grabbed her at the end of the mission and said, move to London with me. And they're trying to outrun the outside circumstances, you know, fighting against the idea of them being together because of this sort of inexplicable, uh, you know, connection that people feel to each other. People falling in love in a relationship that's kind of intrinsically doomed. Okay. When I talked to Zemeckis, we eventually at some point. I mentioned I we talked about how fatalistic the movie is, right? You know, and it's about fatalistic people. They're living in London and during the Blitz, and the you know you could die tomorrow, right? Like that's that's in, informing so much behavior. And here's what he says. I'm just going to read this. The thing that makes love stories work, in my opinion, in movies and novels and country and Western songs is the feeling of longing. We have to evoke the feeling of longing, the painful feeling. That's what we as humans understand as love. No one can define love, but if you attempt to, the closest you can get is longing. And that has a melancholy to it. You can say dread or doom. It's that feeling we all feel when we fall in love with someone. We have this horrible, fearful feeling that maybe we'll never have this person in our life. If you want to get existential, about it all love affairs will always end in horrible pain right 
I feel like that's what he's dealing with on a metaphorical level on top of the the constant question of whether you truly know the person you're with, whether you can ever truly trust them, you know? Yes, exactly. But it's also, it's that thing of like, the minute you fall in love with someone or the minute you buy a puppy, right? Like you will have that sort of dark thought in the back of your head of like, Jesus, one day this thing's going to die. Yeah. The puppy might be a German spy <laughs> secret. <laughs> and also... You'd have to kill it. You gotta run a blue die. Right, but also like what what could this thing do to break my heart? You know, the obvious tragedy yes. is I lose them, right? But also like how could they fundamentally betray my trust in some kind of way? And uh, I do feel like this whole section of the movie where you're saying uh, uh, Brad Pitt has zero chill and is fucking shit up rather than just letting the test play out <laughs> is because he is so full of nervous energy. The mere accusation flips him out, right? He loses his cool mm. in the room with McBurney and Harris. And he's just, I, I think, it. trying to control his universe. There is now a process in play that he cannot control. The results right. will come out in the wash, and he's telling himself, if I go and track down everyone who I think knows, seen has seen this woman, can I get the result I want to hear? But, you know, he, he could just sit her down and be like, look, here's the situation. They tell me you're a spy and I have to kill you. Are <laughs> you a spy or not? Come on, let's, let's, let's talk it out. Believe me, I won't kill you. Let's figure it out. Which in t instead, he becomes like a total psycho to her. Like, there's this whole section of the movie where he's like, sure. yeah, right, where you... Right, and you're kind of questioning, is she innocent, and is he now seem like a spy to her? But the thing is, uh, even when he knows he knows the very worst of it, right? Like, she's betrayed him. She was fooling him that whole first 45 minutes in Casablanca. She's made him betray his side. He doesn't, give, he doesn't care by the end of it. He's, he, so it's not, you know, even having been betrayed, he's still more about his love her. for her. Right, which yes. is bananas. Right. Actually, it's kind of a kind well. Of a wild. The question but then kind is, of becomes: that is love, right. as Zemeckis right. might tell us, right? right? Mm -hmm. It's 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 wild sort of puppy love, and it's also like for him. I think the greater question of allegiance is: okay, if she's a spy, if this was a setup, can I at least? hear that it became real at some point right mm -hmm. like there's no way to reconcile with her original intentions the thing he wants to get out of this is but now it's real now there's still mm -hmm. an actual thing at some point she changed at some point she evolved this wasn't illegitimate i wasn't living a fiction the thing is when she does finally admit it right at the end when he you know sits her in front of a piano and demands she plays La Marseillaise and she says I'm not Sam from Casablanca <laughs> no sorry um, yeah. she says like yeah what could I I'm so sorry what could I do I love you like you know they, they, they were threatening our daughter and like that's why I had you know like she right and it's I, thought, like I genuinely thought if I came to London I would get away from them they wouldn't be able to find right. me that woman who's been babysitting our baby is actually a fucking German spy and she's right. got and you the gotta baby close the at gunpoint right yeah I mean, there's there's only one drunk guy who could who could uh, identify her, right? Right, right. And there's the guy who's like, "Oh, I saw her, and I'll never see anything again." Now I'm yeah. turning my head. You can see I have no eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matthew Good um, saying like, yes. "Oh, saw her through this bad eye or my no <laughs> eye? <laughs> Which one?" But um, no, I also just like when she finally gives the explanation, it's almost incidental we're like yeah no we we know at this point we know we we get yeah. it 
you were in an impossible situation. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like even a shocking reveal, which is interesting no. for a movie. And this is not a criticism. Mm. It's interesting for a movie that is predicated on is she or isn't she? Right. That by the end we're like, oh no! I mean, yeah, of course she is. Well, like, it's hard yeah, to do right. a reveal with someone not being able to do something. It'd be more like if she, like, if she was known as if the known as a German spy with a tendency to play the tambourine, and then suddenly she started <laughs> jamming out with a band. You saw sure. that? That would be the big twist. Give me that thing! <laughs> God, she's so good at the tambourine. No one's that but, good. Um, <laughs> But her not playing the Marseillaise is inherently not a, it's like a, it's kind of less of a twist I was hoping that she tried to just like slam <laughs> her way through. Yeah. <laughs> the alternate <laughs> scene where she's like, uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> No, but I, and also the, the, the drunk guy is like, she played the Marseillaise so beautifully. It I mean, was not, so seriously, good. not just like she was just learning the piano, but she had <laughs> to be really good. <laughs> I, I like the simplicity of that moment, though, that it's like she sits there in front of the piano sure. and then she puts the cover down and it's the like, I'm not even going to mm-hmm. pretend like you got me because I think in and of itself, the fact that she surrenders that easily to the ruse is sort of the moment where he realizes like, oh, we're both on the same level here, which is that we're now terrified about you dying. That like love of country who gives a shit. It's mm-hmm. it's just about keeping you alive at this moment. And then this completely, like, you know, harebrained plot of, like, let's just drive really quickly to a plane and fly out of here and they'll never find mm-hmm. us ever again. Yes. Bad idea. This is true. Bad idea. Where are you going to go? It's compelling. A lot of that stuff is compelling. Pitt is so weird in some of those scenes, but it's it's very compelling, I guess. I like when he shoots the nanny. That's a great scene. Right? Just absolutely murdering a sixty-something woman. <laughs> yes, in a, in, a, in a Hampstead townhouse. You don't see enough of that in the movies. <laughs> no, no, you should do that once a movie, every movie. Um, and the 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 sort of mania of the final thing, where he's like trying to get the plane started, and she's like wrapping up her baby because she knows it's over. And Jared Harris like drives his car into a propeller yeah, to stop the propeller. Yeah. I love that shit. I like when the propeller just messed up the car. I was like, oh, that's yeah, right. Intriguing. But then you you have that moment that I love that I think is like a powerful Zemeckis shot where they're like in the rain. And here's like Jared Harris and Brad Pitt yelling outside this plane. And she's in the backseat of the car with the baby looking through the front window. And it's just like here are just two men like yelling at each other. You know, I will say, though, this movie cost like a hundred million dollars to make for Paramount. And this was really in a tough period for Paramount where they yeah. were they were experiencing a lot of flops. You know, they were bending into the Brad Gray area. And, sure. Right. Um, and, and like the end of this movie is Jared Harris is like, Mr. Pitt, I arrest you for high treason at once against Her Majesty the Queen. And then she shoots herself and you see it. And he's like, that's all, boys. Brad Pitt will instead get the Medal of Decency and yeah. will never speak of this again. And then it's like, roll credits. And then Bobby Zemeckis just comes on screen. He's like, I hope you enjoyed the movie. <laughs> Files out and Donald Trump is president. Like, it is it is a wild thing to expect audiences sure. to go out and be like, a yeah. cinema score for that one. Sure. It's a, sure. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very abrupt ending. 
yeah. in a wide, right? You don't sort of cut in on Jared Harris thinking it over, Brad Pitt with a <laughs> right. you know, no. hang dog look. No. You you see her like looking at the abstracted figures through the window, making the decision, grabbing the gun, covering the baby, walking out, and she sort of like says her I love you. He says his I love you. Turns away and then she pretty much walks into a close up and shoots herself hmm. in the head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's wild, and then it's just like Brad Pitt's immediate reaction is so good. He, he yes, I think he plays yes, that moment is. so incredibly well, where even before the actual tragedy of the thing hits, just the shock of it, like his instantaneous knee jerk reaction, almost to just the sound of the gunfire, and you see him over her shoulder in the shot. And then yes, right, they cover up the body. Jared Harris goes like five cheers for Brad Pitt, and then drives away. <laughs> and then the end of the movie is like fucking. Maria Cotillard's written a sad letter to her daughter, being like, "We must admit, Dear I was daughter. a spy." I was going to die at some point. I assume if you're right. reading this, they shot me in the head. I love you, Rafi Cassidy from Tomorrowland. Yeah. That is Rafi Cassidy. They hired Rafi uh, Cassidy. Is, it, is that right? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. to they be did. in a bunch of still photos. And then I guess you see her from behind petting a horse with Brad. That's kind of like an antiquated, um, you know, when someone records a videotape in the event of my death, play this right. videotape. Right. Yes. I yes. always love when people do that. Yes. I should start making them now for myself. <laughs> you should make them for all kinds of scenarios that we like. I assume yeah, if you're absolutely. watching, it means I fell off my speedboat, right. but I eventually. Bought. If you're watching this now, I opened my window at the safari at Six Flags and something went down. <laughs> But that's essentially what she does. It's like, here's the letter in case of my death. I assume I, for one reason or not, will or another, will not live to see you grow up, my daughter. So here's a letter. And the letter is like, I got to admit I fucked up. This one's on me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I loved your father, but uh, I, I, I got myself into a real pickle. Also, uh, jet fume could not melt steel beams. If you really look into it. <laughs> And then the movie fades right. to black. But but no, it, it, right, it's like hard fade to black. Uh, uh, credits, sad, pulled back Alan Silvestri score. And then he transitions to playing jazz music. Like then the yeah. credits, the rest of the credits play out with like the dun, 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 dun. Right. right. The movie's actually about the birth of modern jazz. I mean, that's that's really what's been going on this whole time. It's a bleak movie. It's a bleak movie. I don't know. Does it earn it? I guess is the question, right? Like, does it earn this incredibly uh, bleak, you know, sad ending? I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like Allied. When am I going to watch Allied? Like, Griff, you like this movie. Did you watch yeah. it again before? No, absolutely you know, not. This, this was the first time I've watched it again. I saw it in theaters <laughs> yeah. the weekend it came out. I saw it with Jordan Fish and Rates and Tori, friends of the show. And, absolutely. uh, we were like, oh, that's the best movie Zemeckis has made in like 20 years, right? That thing rules. But it definitely felt right. like, I don't know. It almost felt like the flip side of what you're describing, where it was like, oh, Donald Trump has just been elected. We want to wallow in like epic misery, right? And just sort of like right, right. doomed love, sort of like watches the world burns around us and we have to kill each other shit. Um, but I also remember like the audience reacting audibly to it. I mean, I feel like it had that kind of palpable tension in the theater, seeing at the AMC 25, where, uh, like, you know, in the moment when he's gets the guy to look at the picture and say that it's her, 
There were sort of like gasps certainly when she shot herself in the head. I don't know. It's just like one of those things where it's like I felt like I kind of had an ideal theatrical viewing of it. I certainly liked it a lot again watching it this time. But I remember it feeling kind of magical being captive in a theater watching it, especially with how sort of um, deliberately paced the movie is, how quiet it is, how bottled it is. There was something about the tension of, of being there in the theater that really got me. I'll watch it again at some point. It's not like one I'm going to throw on once a week. Right. It's not like I watch yeah. Allied when I can't fall asleep. <laughs> I mean, I could see parts of this movie lulling hey you to bed. Hey, now. I watched it on iPad <laughs> while I was putting sure. my, my middle child to bed in cool. two different sections while Winnie the Pooh was playing to the side. So I can't say I had the ideal theatrical experience. Sure. And we, we should, we should also that. mention no. We we should also know. mention we like we asked you to cover this movie. Like we sent you the full Zemeckis list, and you gave us some options, and you sort of said like Allied's kind of interesting because I I have a fondness for like World War II movies, and then I sort of pushed on you like I'd really like you to come on this episode because Dave and I disagree on this movie, but right. I I knew the risk of you might just not care for this movie at all. I don't. I well, I don't have. A, I think. I don't know. I'm. I think I'm in the middle of you guys. Really, wow. that's what I thought would happen. I, I'm yeah. also. I'm also in the middle, though. I think this movie has a lot of interesting stuff going on. I just yeah, feels like everyone's I in just, the middle. Yeah, I mean, by Zemeckis standards, I just like this period much more than the mocap period. Absolutely. That's not really a hot take. I think there's interesting stuff going on in Flight, The Walk, Allied, and Marwin. Mm-hmm. I don't, none of those movies are, you know, out and out hits for me. I think Flight is the closest. Yeah. See, this it, is far yes. and away my, my favorite of this period, of his, of his right. 2010s. But I appreciate that he at least tries stuff. And, you know, I wonder about this, you know, this next phase, but I also wonder about this next phase of Hollywood. And I also wonder if we'll ever see a movie again. So, you know, can't really lay all that at Mr. Bobby's feet right now. This is the other factor at play, which is I think I have a soft spot for this kind of movie in a career, which is blank check director has massive success early on. Right. And then they get to a point where they're just sort of like, oh, you've been like a major player for three or four decades. You can do anything, but maybe you're a little bit like out of the pocket at this point, right? You have your sort of like empire period, like Tim Burton or whatever. And then you get to that period where you're sort of like, what do I do now? What what do I uh, evolve into? Um, And this feels for me like Big Eyes, another movie which I defend more than most people, where it's like, this feels like the most exciting thing to see a guy like this do, even though this movie was very expensive. It's like to do a movie that is so stripped down because we've said like Spielberg and like Lucas and a lot of those guys, Zemeckis has been one of these guys who now when he does interviews sort of like complains about the modern state of the film industry and that movies aren't made for grownups. Right. You know, uh, and the, the and Hollywood the, doesn't make a lot of original movies anymore. And, everything's and so franchise. Everything's whiz bang. This and that. Despite him being a big special effects guy, it does feel like to some degree he's he's tried to do a little bit of the Spielberg thing, where like they'll make a family film, they'll make a larger film, but also they really try to use their clout to make the type of adult drama that doesn't get made anymore. And so I do just find this film exciting as like this is an interesting argument for what late period Zemeckis could be 
you know, for him making yes. a movie that is almost diametrically opposed to the types of films he started out making, but are very much the kind of films that only an elder statesman can make. And also, not to steal her point, coming up in next week's episode, but Emily Yoshida, Mother of Blankies, in our Welcome to Marwin episode, brought up the fact that many directors in the sort of the later period of their career start to like obsessively make movies about making movies. It feels like the material that jumps out to them is almost always a movie about storytelling or the movie about process that can somehow be mapped onto movies. And this is not that. Like this is very much a movie no. that is about a relationship and a situation. You know, it yeah. feels like he is just into the kind of gambit of what the script is presenting. It's not something that he's mapping onto his sort of artistic um, sort of mantra in a way that Marwan does and, and The Walk does, you know. I'd say it's a very curious cinematic object, this movie, right? Um, because in some ways it feels so conservative in the way that it's uh, sort of uh, presented, but there's some really quite um, strange elements to it, edgy things. It's edgy in its way. It's also like you said, David, that you wish he threw some grain onto it. Like the language for this type of movie we understand is someone going full mank, right? Or at least partial mank. Mank is grainless too. This is so crazy about mank, but whatever. We'll talk about mank another day. But this is what I'm saying, that you like you lean more into the pastiche and emulating the technology of the time. And I do think there's a cognitive dissonance thing here that works for me, but I understand doesn't work for other people where it's like he's using entirely modern technology to replicate a very artificial, old-timey sort of world. For me, it mm -hmm. works a lot yes. better than it does in The Walk. It's the best sure. marriage of those things. And I think it's also the one of the modern movies where it feels like um, the technology isn't the point. Like, he's using the technology in service of the story. It's not, by and large, imagine if this was done with this technology. It's just sort of like the trimming of it, uh, which I like. Uh, let's play the box office game. It's the great allied say. off 2021. Um, absolutely. 2021, my friend. Yeah. Um, let's play the box office game, though, Griffin. It's November 20th. It's Thanksgiving time. 2016 gobble, gobble. who doesn't love to take their family to watch brad pitt and marion fuck in a car make a baby and then have her shoot herself in front of the baby yeah i took my whole family to see allied and every single member of my family divorced me individually <laughs> uh, <laughs> number four it opens number four uh, to 12 okay. million griffin can you tell me the final domestic total of allied 30 40 Makes okay. 120 worldwide, 119. Uh, but, so that's but cost What's at number least one? 80, probably over 100. What's number one? Okay, Thanksgiving, and the year is 2014? 16. 16. Trump. So, uh, Trump. So is, is this the final Hunger Games? No, it is not. I think that might have been the year before. It is an animated okay. film. It's new this week. It's a big hit, and I feel like it's only gotten bigger in the years since. Is it Moana? Moana! Is this the week that America began considering the coconut? Exactly. Wow. $82 million opening weekend for Moana wow. and Thanksgiving. Yeah. I do think, um, I mean, you, I feel like that's maybe your favorite of the modern Disney era. And at the time you were sort of like, yeah, it's mm -hmm. good. But I do think it's grown yeah, for people. 
it's one of the two movies I saw the week Trump was elected. The other yeah. was Allied. And I think they really skewed my uh, take on both of them. <laughs> and um, uh, we'll never talk about Moana on this podcast ever again. What's number two at the box not. office? It's a, um, it was number one the week before. Um, hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a franchise starter, but it's also hmm. a franchise entry. Sort of a... It's, is it a like a side, side prequel? Yeah, like a side prequel. Let's call it a side prequel. Hmm. Um, Franchi- it has spawned so- a sequel and another is in production and there's been nothing wrong with a production of this new film. Oh boy. Nothing weird going on there. I know this one, don't I? Yeah, I do. I do. Please. Chris? It's, it's, uh, it's dinosaur land. Um, it's Jurassic not, right? World. No? That was my it's first thought. It's not Jurassic World. It's oh, not man. Jurassic World. I thought That's I was going to gizump uh, I know. Griffin. But now I'm trying to think about other franchises that have dared move forward during a pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Oh, is it is it the 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 crimes of Grongle Grumble Dong? Oh, well, exactly. Those Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, right. It was the film that Dare asked, "What if they were Fantastic Beasts? Uh, yeah. And if so, where would we find them?" See, this is the problem. Um, I think Chris and I were just thinking about trying to make a movie during a pandemic, and not thinking about right. the single most cursed movie currently in existence. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that every day seems to step on another witch's toes and <laughs> collect a new curse upon its very nature. It's just that whole thing where it's like, "All right, okay, we've 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 decided to fire Johnny Depp." Uh, and we're just not going to think too much about J.K. Rowling right now. Or Ezra Miller. Let's begin production. In the middle of COVID! Like, yeah. you know, like it's not like... <laughs> People anyway. need this movie. They're protesting <laughs> in the streets. That's why they're protesting, right? They're saying boo earns. Yeah. We um, should not show any doubt. Exactly. Wow. Uh, okay, fantastic, fantastic piece. piece where to find them. David, that was a great Simpsons reference, and you get... 10 Simpsons reference points. Wow. Oh my God. Wow. If if I had gotten Simpsons reference points every day, if I got like, if they could turn them into money, I would be a billionaire at the age of 12. <laughs> uh, all right. Number three at the box office, Griffin. It's another in the, the we, we talk about these movies all the time. Hmm. Movies that came out right around Trump time. Uh, it's another franchise movie. We did a commentary episode on it. We did a commentary episode on. Is it Doctor Strange? Doctor Strange. Doctor nice. Doctor. Yeah, because right. News. I think I talked about this in some other episode, but I saw Doctor Strange with my mom right after Trump was elected because yes. uh, the accountant was sold out. Right. Uh, the accountant has dropped to number fifteen on this box office. Wow. Uh, number four is Allied. Number five, one of the best movies of twenty sixteen. Is it? Arrival? Arrival. Arrival. From, yeah. How do you, do you like Arrival, Chris? Have you seen Arrival? I do, I do very much. Um, Yes, I do. (laughs) That's all I'll say. Well, there you go. (laughs) I did, here's the thing is like, I didn't understand the twist. Like, I felt like the stupidest person going. I didn't even understand when they revealed it. I was like, why she got such a big problem marrying this guy? To be fair, Chris, my mom had the exact same hang up. I saw it with her. We talked about it. She was like, I think I liked it. I mean, I just didn't like it as much as you. And then like a week later, she was like, can I ask you like one lingering question I've had about Arrival? And I was like, sure. And the question belied the fact that she did not understand anything that happened. Um, 
some other movies in the top 10. Trolls, uh, from director Richard Lawson. Bad Santa 2. Remember that that happened? Of course. Uh, directed not by Terry Zwickoff, but by no. Mark Waters. Um, mm. What else have we got? We've got Almost Christmas. Which one is that? Which one's Almost that? Christmas. Almost Christmas? That's, Almost Christmas. That's right. That's the one. It's the family comedy. It's like Danny Glover, Monique, Romany Malco. Like oh, it, it's okay. like a fun. People, people like that movie. Uh, people have talked that one up to me. Uh, hmm. I've never seen it. Um, Hacksaw Ridge. Speaking of war movies. Yeah. Uh, number oh nine. And, and it's really uh, unfair what happened to that movie. I mean, it's such a byproduct of cancel culture. It's it's really, you know, Mel Gibson is like a problematic figure and they canceled him so mm-hmm. hard. And as a punishment, right. he only got nominated for best director and best picture. <laughs> I was just and waiting it, for you to land the plane. That's no, it's just, it's just right. elemental and truth that counts or, uh, cancel culture is out of control. <laughs> right. And number 10, another of the best movies of 2016, The Edge of Seventeen. Great movie yes. that I love and rewatch That's a, a great lot. Movie. Um, Chris, if you've seen The Edge of Seventeen, I have not seen it. I, I got to see it. I, the The idea of someone rewatching a movie a lot to me is so crazy. I, like, how, well, you know what? <laughs> no, I don't mean that it's a bad movie or anything like that. I'm like, my God, where is like I have no time. I, no, I know, I know. That's you're also saying. you're you're a father, Chris. Yeah. But sometimes you gotta watch Gummo a bunch. Sometimes with you gotta your kids. watch Gummo a bunch. <laughs> yeah, uh, I recommend it if you haven't done like that kids already, movie, Chris. Right? It's really, I mean, it reminds me of my childhood. So he's Just always that. making kids movies. Kids, Gummo. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> trash humpers. Um, I mean, that's more adolescence, but yeah, that that one's more for kids instead of about kids. <laughs> um. Uh, the Edge of Seventeen is the first time I saw Haley Lou Richardson. I feel like who Chris, you've worked with uh, several she's times, and best. I think is like one of one of the big stars of tomorrow. She's so great. I know that was her breakout for sure. I right, that, that's Bonds, where she popped for me. She has no, a small right, role in. right, right. Yeah. Haven't seen that. Uh, but I was I was rewatching uh, your movie finale before this as well, and then she's so good in that. She just she fucking rules. She was awesome. Uh, she she really she has actually a pretty extraordinary range. Um, and like very uh, goofy in person, but the moment that the you know the the camera Can't goes on, she just kind of did like this dead set focus. Yeah. Really, man, That's well, I right? she she's great. I I it's one of the things that this pandemic cost us is the release of After Yang, the new Coconata movie, where there's like robot babysitters and and Colin Farrell's in it, and she's yeah. in it. And, uh, I got to see that thing. Uh, I know Togo. you produce best Columbus, best to, best to delay it. Yeah, that's my, that's my of course of course. Guy. I can wait. Yeah, I can wait. Well, I mean, right? You you produce Columbus, Chris. Mm-hmm. That movie, David, sounds like it was produced by you, and not only produced by you, but you held everyone involved up at gunpoint and demanded they make that movie. Like that feels <laughs> oh, like a girl, like, you're gonna play a robot or something. I David right. doesn't really know the details, but <laughs> that that feels like a Kim Jong Un like holding filmmakers hostage. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, can't wait to see After Yang whenever it does come anyway. out. Uh, and, we, you know, 2021, I do hope I'll be seeing movies in the theater again. But who knows? Oh, man. Yeah, here's to that. Cheers to that. Uh, Chris, thank you for coming back on the show. We got to do it more often. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm around anytime, you know? Well, this I, is I, the thing is we, we were like, you got to do Allied. And you were like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm like, we were like. Great, it comes out in January. Talk to you like in we a year. had this conversation See you in, in six March. months. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I thought you guys had forgot, actually. No. 
No, no, I mean, I'm bad forget. at responding to emails, but also uh, we booked most of Zemeckis in like March and April when it looked like he was winning and we were just so freaked out about the pandemic. And like, I guess huh. we're just recording everything remotely now. Let's lock down like all these guests. But but that's like 20 episodes. We booked like 20 episodes ahead. <laughs> um, hey, Chris, thanks for the ongoing like, you know, creative support as a producer of Night Eggs. It means a lot. Those meetings uh, yeah. like are just, you know, it's encouraging me to continue on with this journey. I'm glad because, uh, you know, I know it's been a tough year for all kinds of filmmakers, but um, but I feel like next year is our year. Yeah, I agree. I well, this so. year, because that's we're, right. We're, we're just we're in it. We're in it. So yep. stay tuned. I think Night Eggs is going to be the movie that finally gets people back to the theaters again. It's going to be <laughs> the sort of home well, film. Yeah, you, you need a movie yeah. that's like a kind of a spectacle. Right. You know? Well, right. hey, all right. Yeah. Exclusively on 40x. What do? We, I, yeah. Well, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. Big we'll talk about 40x only. Big horses. IMAX. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can feel the gallop in your seat. Oh, boy. That's that's what it should be, Ben. It should be 4D IMAX. You should demand <laughs> that IMAX theaters convert to 4DX seats, and that's the only way that Night Eggs can be uh, projected. I need smells. I need rumbles. Uh, Chris, people should watch Operation Finale. I mean, I just watched it uh, for kicks before this to reacclimate myself with your uh, uh, filmmaking style re-World War II, but it's such a good movie. Oh, thanks, man. Um, and it's on Hulu. I was doing some uh, some funny stuff in, in the course of doing that. Um, you know, my mom's in that movie. She because it, it, Well, yeah, the Imitation it. of Life scene. Imitation of Life, yeah. Which is yeah, so good. Course. I love that, yeah. Um, and weirdly, we shot that scene in the very cinema in in Buenos Aires where those two characters did meet in real life. So that's kind that's of wild. wild. Yeah. Um, great scene. I'll plug that too. People should watch Imitation of Life. That's a great movie that your mom's in. It is a it's weepy. Very good movie. Um, we're done. We're, we're done. done. Thank, Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, so much. Uh, my mom's going to be so thrilled. She complains about the fact that you're not on the show enough because she finds you relaxing as opposed to us uh, screaming and yelling. <laughs> we are not relaxing. That's a great. We're not that's a great Note by your mom, honestly. Yeah, zero shell. Um, b- but watch those two movies and tune in next week for Marwin with Emily Ashida. Mother Blanky's coming back to welcome you yeah. all. And thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, thanks to Lane Montgomery for our theme song, Joe Bowen and Pat Rounds for our artwork. Go to blankies.route.com for some real nerdy shit. And go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. New stuff being added all the time. We're getting back on that horse. Uh, go to patreon.com slash blank check where we're doing it, baby. We're going down under. We're, we're doing the Crocodile Dundee movies. The, the obvious right. next franchise to tackle. MCU, Star Wars. Alien, Mission Impossible, <laughs> Toy Story, Crocodile Dundee. It's a clear pattern. <laughs> All right. All right. That's it. And as always. And as always, Brad Pitt shows a lot of buttocks in this movie. <laughs>